somebody knocking on your door If you see something crawling up across the floor, baby, it'll be me And I'll be looking for you And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to Jedi's and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of something Star Wars in this episode. You know what I just realized I sound like? Sonic the Hedgehog, like when I do my Sonic the Hedgehog impression of like, whoa, be too, don't be too cool for school, man. School's great. Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. Covering every episode of something Star Wars in this episode. Gotta, gotta take your word for it. Gotta go fast. <laughs> in this episode, desperate to evade arrest, Cassian makes contact with a mysterious but yet well-connected man who could supply him with money, a means off-world, and perhaps a whole new direction in life. There will be... Do you hear that? Do you Hope hear that? new direction. No. You're ruining my bet. <laughs> there will be... Do you hear that? That banging in the distance? It gets to you, doesn't it? We're There's talking about... Direction. And our episode three, Reckoning the Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> I was being a bastard on the podcast I did this morning, too. I, I, I was doing <laughs> everything, too. I don't know what's gotten into me today. You got, you got the vapors. I can't help it. When, whenever I hear... I had There was a local band, and it drives me nuts because their name just evades me. The, a local band from, like, 40 years ago. And uh, they had a song called my new direction and like they'd be my 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 new direction my 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 new direction and and one of my friends goes you know that they really mean my new direction and i'm like what and i don't know if they really meant that but then i could not hear that song ever again without thinking it was this and now every time i hear anybody talk when I hear anybody talk about their new direction or having to take a new direction or god i can't hear it now stop it yeah, sorry. <laughs> Is it New Direction a music band? I think it was One Direction. One Direction. Wait, wasn't New Direction's the band in Glee? Am I? Wait, uh, it was Glee. I don't know, it but was, that sounds pretty it was sketchy. Glee. It was Glee. That takes yeah, place okay. in high school. They shouldn't have a. Uh, band called new direction in in a high school show no we we don't need any new directions in high school shows no that's right it's glee glee is a trash show (laughs) this is the second time in like three days i've talked about glee it's just like trash talk glee no it's just come up in like normal conversations and i was like i haven't thought about glee in like five years (laughs) and now i've like talked about it twice in a few days anyway hi chris how are you Good. That's good. You could say I'm gleeful. Oh. But not full of glee. That's what you missed on glee. <laughs> I think they Ugh. should do an Indian version of it called ghee. Anyway. That was that was horrible. 
I don't know if I got that. Ghee is, is clarified Indian butter. It's in a lot of Indian food. G-H-I. Oh, oh, ghee. Okay, G-H-I. yeah. I know, I know exactly. Okay. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it was well. bad. It was bad, Hope. I, and it makes it worse by explaining it, which... Explain yeah. it again. No. <laughs> I don't want to make it any worse. Yeah. Well, I want to share with you a cool thing I found out today about Star Wars books. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah? This is a thing that always, like, low-key bothers me. Um, When I read Star Wars books and comics, it really does bother me. But I found out, and I always wondered why. And so a friend of the show, Arzu, uh, from the Geeky Waffles and Space Waffles, and go check her out because she's, like, one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, she wrote a, just a general question on Twitter about, um, and she wrote, why is it in books the narration will refer to a droid by their designation, but dialogue will spell it out, uh, spell out the words? And she used the, the example of BB-8, but she spelled out B-E-E-B-E-E-A-T-E, as in BB-8. Um, does writing their designation not imply that that's how it's being said? And Tom, I wish I knew your last name, Tom, but Tom is the senior editor at Del Rey and Random House. And uh, they're the ones that publish a lot of the Star Wars books. And he answered, my, my guess is the style guides reflect how the dialogue appeared in the film scripts. More practically, it helps people understand the pronunciation of the droid's name. It also reflects how many style guides suggest writing out numbers in, in the dialogue. So you write out the words $10 instead of a dollar sign one zero. Right. And uh, he said it does vary and it has updated over time. So some of the styling, say, from the 1990s isn't the same as the styling now. It's not because 1999 was wrong. It's just that things evolve. For instance, there are places in prose where you will see the droid phonetic 2-1-B versus the number 2 dash, the number 1, the letter B. The reason is because, again, the general style says never start a sentence with a number. So 2-1-B looked at Luke yeah. is not allowed. But for Star Wars, that's perfectly fine in a normal sentence. For some Been time, that way we, since C-3PO. And for some time, we've defaulted to that general style since we, and since then we've been, uh, since we've updated it with an exception for Star Wars. I find that fascinating because I never knew the reason. But yeah, that makes sense because we do that in grammar anyway. <laughs> like normal grammar, yep. like that is a grammar thing. Like do not start a sentence with a number. Because it looks like maybe it's part of a list or something. Yep. Exactly. And I, but I never like connected it. And I'm like glad, really, I'm really glad that Arzu asked that question because I learned a thing and I was like, that makes sense because it always drove me crazy when people would write like S E E dash T H R E E dash P E E dash O H. Like it, it always drew, like drew me bonkers. They just did it randomly in the early days of sometimes he would be letters and sometimes c3po would be spelled out and same with r2d2 actually yeah that is actually the like the one that i'd always gotten and it always annoyed me but i never knew why but like now it makes sense and it doesn't really annoy me anymore because i'm like oh i get oh, it oh good <laughs> so yeah other than that i had a good week we did uh, a session of for light and dice for the weekend and it was a lot of fun and i oh my god chris in a single session the dice the dice taketh and the dice giveth and they taketh away or whatever the phrase is. I got my first nat 20 and my first 
crit one in the same session. Oh, <laughs> it was geez. a wonderful high and a horrific low. Crashing low. But luckily, the, the, thr- the thrill low, of victory and the agony of defeat. Thankfully, the crashing low wasn't that bad because all I was doing was flying the ship about 40 feet. <laughs> so it wasn't bad. <laughs> I just scraped along the insides you of just a hanger. Awkwardly scraped 40 feet forward or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so it could have been worse. I could have actually crashed a ship instead of just gently moving it, so it could have been way worse. Hey, Chris that's a great very... link with this episode, too. Yeah. Wait, what? That's a good link with this episode. How do you mean? There was, a, there was Oh, never, never. Yeah, there was a little ship crashing in this episode. Oh, a little ship crashing. Yes, yes. Okay, a I just bit, wasn't sure. Little, how... I mean, a little bit of ship crashing. Yeah, yeah. Medium-sized ship ship crashing. A little bit of medium-sized ship crashing. It's fine. He's asleep. (laughs) He's just sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. Mm. Speaking of which, we should probably get into it, because these episodes have been hella long, so. Let's Uh, do it. What'd you think of this one? Um, this is my favorite yet. It's my favorite one, too. I think it's such a good episode. It, and it's up there as one of like my personal favorites. It's not my favorite, but it's up there. Like unless other episodes shove it out of the way, like this is easily in my top 5. I love this episode. Well, the way this show is structured, the end of every arc is pretty damn crazy. Although when we get to the prison arc, I'm probably not going to know which episode I like more. Or it, but, like, yeah. That but, entire yeah, this, arc. This one, this one brings a lot of things to a head and is, I mean, the writing is so strong that, yeah, mm-hmm. this one is, this, 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 this episode is taught. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I had one of my assignments this week was, like, the best 15 quotes from Andor. And I'm like, how do I fucking choose just 15? Yeah, there's it was a like, lot of them. It was like Sophie's choice of dialogue. <laughs> I was like, I can only pick 15 of you. I'm sorry, the rest of the show. <laughs> it was horrible. It was so bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you ready to get into it? Let's do that. <clears throat> Andor episode three. I forgot to change that. Andor episode three, Reckoning, aired on Disney Plus on September 21st, 2022. It was written by Tony Gilroyd and directed by Toby Hayes. I need to check something. And I forgot to check this, but so far, Toby Hayes has directed the first three episodes. Haynes. Haynes. I can't read. Shut up. <laughs> He's a Haynes. He is a Haynes. Toby Haynes has directed the first three episodes, and I keep meaning to check to see if he directs all of the episodes, because then that would be, like, Deborah Chow with Kenobi and having, like, yeah, one director. Yeah, no, there's... Having, I think he's... I think he pretty much does, but, like, yeah, that's... I'd have the, to double-check, because I know... Tony Gilroy and, and Toby Haynes combination gives the show a solid continuity, you know, a consistent feel. Mm-hmm. And even if... They probably, even if they don't write every episode and direct every episode, they did most of them, and it I shows, think, you know? I think Tony does write every episode. Um, it, Toby's it, the one it, I need it to feels, check. It feels like it. It feels like there's one writer. But, you know, I mean, like, even shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, you know, 
I mean, uh, especially um, what I can't remember the name. Is it Vince Gilligan? Vince. Yeah. Vince Gilligan. Like he doesn't write every episode, but people have gotten to write a lot like him, you know, but, uh, you know, I have this magical thing called internet. I could have just looked it up. Toby Haynes does the first arc in the prison arc. Those are the okay. ones he directs. So okay. So and yeah, and it shows. Um, I do kind of like the idea of like one director with the arcs, though. So yeah. Anyway, where were we? Uh, some extra information for you. Clint Andor is played by Gary Beadle. His other works include the Sarah Jane Adventures, East Enders, and Operation Good Guys. The flashbacks in this, I, I want to include this because we were debating this a little bit last week and I actually found a clarification. The flashbacks in the episode taking place on Canari occur during the later years of the Republic prior to the start of the Clone Wars. The dead crew on the frigate wear uniforms with a symbol that closely that is closely related to the eventual Separatist Alliance, but it's not the Separatist Alliance yet. So it's like right before the Clone Wars, but before we had Separatists, and I think somebody did the math, it's like two years before the Clone Wars. So the Separatists aren't made yet. So, yay! Clarification, because, you know, we were talking about that last year. Um, and I also found out that the real-world linguistic roots of Canary language is a blend of Portuguese, Spanish, and Magyar. And finally, because it's so prevalent in this, this episode, especially in the last third... To dive into the sound and music for the first three episodes, including the warning signals for the people of Ferrex, composer Nicholas Brittle explained, For Canary's theme, Brittle had to create that sense of a lost world of childhood. Hence, he would use wooden blocks and percussion, consistently uh, consisting of, of literal branches and leaves, and much, uh, and much of the- I cannot fucking read tonight! Oh! <sighs> For the Canary theme, Br Brittle had to create that sense of a lost world and of childhood. Hence, he used wooden blocks and percussions, consisting of literally uh, literal branches and leaves, and much of and much of used uh, much of sonic creations and string motifs within synthesizers. Adding, when you see those first ships uh, that when you see that when you see that first ship smoking about to crash, there's a shaking sound of percussion, almost like an alarm. You hear that throughout Canary, a sense of building tension. Each episode has its own uh, own tension concept. Ferris's theme has metal clinging sounds of percussion, and the time grappler sound has been used with the help of pipes in his neighborhood, which have been modified to create the sound. Brittle said, for the time grappler with the anvil, we have a whole musical lexicon where the different tones he plays corresponds <coughs> to signals to the Ferrex community. This is a culture where music has meaning. People aren't just looking at their watches. They're waiting for the time grappler to tell them, where are we right now? What do we do? And and for this episode, the percussion alarm sequence on Ferrex, <coughs> where people are banging metal in episode three, that is a musical suite I wrote every element on. That specific rhythm, a signaling language, and all the actors on set have to learn it. I thought that was a cool thing. That the banging metal was actually a score that he wrote that the actors had to learn. Yeah. It's, uh... This, this is musically different than any Star Wars yet. And, it, like, it's... But it's very good. I've been listening to the I, I think you have, too. Didn't you download it? Did you download the whole... It's on Spotify, the... so I've been listening on Spotify because I'm 
Do they have? Because it's a like. I think it's broken into I like got, four parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like four different albums. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's a lot of music, and it's very consistent, but very varied. Also, it's mm-hmm. it's. It's one of the more listenable Star Wars soundtracks on its own, you know, on the from the TV show. All the movie soundtracks <coughs> I can listen to all the time. Sorry, I'm coughing a lot. I thought I was muted before. I'm coughing up a storm the last couple days. You're fine. And, uh, um I was I was I just realized I was letting it I was like, "Oh, I'm on mute. I can uh cough up this <laughs> right now and then i'm just like you know happily happily coughing away while you're talking but um it's 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 just so it's it's got so many nice little elements to it and as we go on there's going to be parts that sound like like blade runner i think there's already been a couple parts in the first episode that sounded like blade runner there's parts that sound like john carpenter music synth synth music and stuff but it all works beautifully and there's a lot of stuff that sound there's a lot of synths a lot of things that you don't hear in star wars a lot of synths and a lot of like like i mean natural instruments not like in like a a symphony orchestra but like um like the wooden blocks like folk folk instruments and yeah right style instruments and stuff which is the last you know, you heard, can... you heard a little bit of it. You hear a little bit of it, like, on, like, tattooing every once in a while. And you'd hear it in the Ewoks and stuff like that. Because they were, like, obviously a tribal group and stuff. But this, like, you know, has it thematically in there. You know, not just, like, because so, we're with Ewoks or whatever. The only place, like, um, for, like, really folky, um, uh, uh, the, the word that you just said, um, that I can think of is Star Wars Visions. Where it was very yes. like, especially I think I think it was the Village Bride episode in the in the extras. They actually broke down um, these instruments that they've been using for like hundreds of years in Japan to like give a timeless sound to like that episode. Um, mm-hmm. But like that's the only time that I can really think of it being like super folky. Yeah, um, and, I, like, very, I, like, I, and like very like and like very like up so- here. Visions is so like experimental and all over the place that mm-hmm. there was also, you know, you had you had anime style rock band music, you know, pop music in That's one still episode. the best episode <laughs> in, in, in that, you know, so so like, yeah, but those were all only so that but they knew they could do it like once the commitment to do this to the, you know, to have this for the whole, you know, the whole run of the series is a pretty pretty new i i I really like don't see i i don't understand how um gilroy and uh what's the what's the uh the director's name haynes the thing that you corrected me on yes yes (laughs) well it was it was a lot easier when i was looking right at it five minutes ago hope come on yeah um yeah it's five minutes is out of the the like ram ram of my brain um what was I talking about? <laughs> Music? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I just surprised that the that these guys were able to exert so much control over this series. This series really feels like somebody was given the material and left to left to their own devices, you know. 
Which is funny because everything I've read is like they worked really close with like Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy. And this is this is where I feel like it was the other way around where he wrote the basic script and then he gave it to like the story group. And they were just like, all right, we'll Star Wars fly it. Make sure Luthen has these like artifacts from Lothal in his shop. And he was like, "Okay." (laughs) well, the way. Yeah, but the way they did it seemed to be, you know, in total collaboration with the style of of what he was shooting for which is really not like honestly what seems to be the uh way that disney star wars works especially post tross mm-hmm. <laughs> you know where they're just like hey 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 you know probably and, because and, of rogue one did so well like tony proved I, that's it. what like, i'm thinking yeah, that's what yeah, i'm thinking like tony proved it, it. Rogue One did well, but not only did it do well, but if you if you watch the chatter in fandom, a lot of people are just like, you know, the movies, but I liked Rogue One, you know? I liked Rogue yeah. One. And, as much as and I so like there's... Solo, you're not seeing, like, Solo, the TV show, popping up or something. Yeah, I mean, you're, I, I mean, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's a, like, community of people actively disliking Solo, but I think, like, the fan reaction to it was more in line with me than you just sort of like yeah you know there is was, a very that, that loud acceptable. make solo to happen crowd and they are oh i'm sure loud. i'm sure and like i'm i'm all for a solo too because even if solo one was disappointing who cares you got the character so you can you know you can come back with a better you know something that people like more you know a better put together or whatever you know that's it, what it i hate ha- is like Everything I've heard about the like the post of Solo is that they took all the wrong lessons from it. Like I, I've yeah. read a few like interviews with like Kathleen Kennedy, who I do love and I think has done an excellent job. Like when I've read like them post analyzing it, like and like Bob Iger and stuff like that, it sounds like they were just like, oh, it did poorly, so therefore people must not oh. liked it. No, what it did poorly because fucking... you fucking record the movie twice. What was that? Yeah, what was that? D- DC. Oh, Suicide Squad. The first mm-hmm. Suicide Squad was a train crash. The second Suicide Squad was not an Oscar-winning movie, but it was very entertaining and it was well made. And everybody was like, "Hey, this is more like it." And it's like it's like a comic book, you know. So if a comic book comes out and the first issue, like, isn't that good, and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of good issues after it, people are gonna forget all about that first issue. You're like, "Oh yeah, the first issue was kind of kind of." hinky and and then it got its legs so you know i mean yeah i mean they're they're it's it's weird it's like they did this it's like they they did this like let's go nuts and then let's and then an overreaction when when stuff didn't go as well as it it should have or they thought it should have or or whatever you know i don't think they've lost a cent yet on star wars but you know, but I don't know, but I, I just can't believe there's this, you know, it it feels like if they were like, I, I mean, I'm sure, okay, we're adding star Wars stuff in it, but it's added in tastefully, you know, there isn't any tooled in, you know, we, we, you know, they didn't make him have somebody say, I have a bad feeling about this, you know, the, the standard tropes are, you know, 
They got there one in Rogue One when K2 starts to say it and Cassian and Jen hushes him. He did his one. He did the thing. And I think that he, Tony well, was like, I'm good. I got is, the one. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You ju- that just that, you know, that just made me think of this. Uh, maybe they they don't do it in 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 Andor because let's face it in Rogue One. All like a lot of the parts where they did do stuff like that, like the two guys from the cantina. That they ran into, you know, we're wanted men, guys. Uh, Uh, Right, (laughs) right. And that's what everybody was. Everybody was like, I like that movie. That was really stupid when they ran into the cantina guys, you know. And and so maybe that maybe they noted that and said, okay, maybe we should maybe we should just, you know, let these guys keep it in their, you know, it, it it feels to me like they had way more control over it than Disney did, and 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 that's a, turned out to be a great thing. Yeah. Um. One little thing I wanted to say right fast was uh, I just wanted to touch back on this with talking about visions. I am very excited about Vision season two being from different studios from around the world because I think the music's going to be really cool to hear what the music sounds like around the world and whether they're going to try and like go more traditional star Wars or go like traditional to their countries. I think it's going to be really exciting. So, yeah. Well, I, it's a win-win situation in that case. Cause I like when they do traditional star Wars, cause that's really neat. Some mm-hmm. of the traditional star Wars, like the Japanese traditional star Wars music was gorgeous, but also some of the star Wars music that was like more traditional music was gorgeous too. So, Oh my god. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Star Wars music, I saw this like really cool thing about the music of Bad Batch into Rebels into the original trilogy and how like the Bad Batch is just doing like parts of Imperial themes. Like they'll be like dun 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 dun. And then like when you get to Rebels, did you see the same clip as I did? We might have watched the the same algorithm stream as I did because it did you see the clip of um Kevin Kiner? And yeah, yeah, I think we watched the same video. Hi, Chris and I apparently both watched Screen Crush, and we both found out today that we both watched Screen Crush. It, well, it just happens if you watch a Screen Crush video, it just puts the same stuff. And then I saw another Kevin Kiner video where he, it, I think it was in that same one where they showed him where he was working on Rebels and he first got to put in, you know, a John yeah, Williams theme. And he was so it, happy. He's like, and here's where. Here's where John Williams and where the Star Wars meet, and he's just like so happy to finally have been able to like yeah, incorporate yep, the John the Williams stuff in there. He was so excited. <laughs> I would too, but he was just like geeked out. Hey, Screen Crush has a cute dog and occasionally a cat, so I'm all for it. So, anyway, you ready to get into this episode? Act one. I am. Act one. ああ。おお、ケ、ケ、ヨーダ。おまかい。あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ
Anyway, Yoda, I am so sorry. I do have a question for you this week. Oh, question for Yoda. Okay. Yeah, you ready? Always ready. Yoda is ready. Ready were not you. <laughs> well, all the percussion in this episode got me thinking. If you started a band, what would it be called and what instrument would you play? And who would be your bandmates? Oh, Yoda's a keyboard player. Yes, definitely. You would be uh, a keyboard Yoda's, player. Yoda's put much thought into this, he has. Yes. Three band names Yoda has. Three good band names. Vote on it, maybe people will. Okay. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. Let, let Yoda run these up the flagpole. <clears throat> Get, I got a piece of paper back here in my... Well, Yoda does not have a pocket, but... Mm. Ah. Rage Against the Palpatine? Okay. Mm. Okay. I want to hear the others before... Have have song called Do What You Tell You Do What You Tell Me I Will Not Fuck You. <laughs> um more pop band this band more pop band. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Moist Force One. Moist Moist Force Moist One Force One. Okay. Mm, powerful name. Mm? And then and then classy band. Mm. Yoda's Big Jizz Band. I kind of like the last one. Mm, so does Yoda. <laughs> You're, uh... Yoda's a little older. Maybe do a classic band, classic music style. Yoda, Yoda's well, very... What about... Yoda's always been into jizz. What about Yoda's... A lot of people would say that Yoda's a jizz man. What about Yoda's Big Jizz Ragtime Band? Ooh! Ooh, Yoda's... Yoda's Big Ragtime Jizz Band. Mm. I don't know. I like I liked the Jizz Rag better. The, jizz, the rag, jizz Ragtime Band? Mm. Yeah, like the Ragtime. It's, it's time Yoda, for, the, for the Jizz... Yoda will think about it. Yoda will think about it. Charles, I hear you laughing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I think I like that last and one. And but... no, no other people in band, just Yoda and robots. Yoda does not want to pay any other musicians. No other egos to See, clash with. I Electronic Cam... band will be. Mm. I, I I thought Camel Joe would be a good bandmate for you though. Though no, Camel Joe oh, oh. could slow, run the... only slow songs Camel Joe plays. I bet he's a crooner though. He seems like a crooner. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yoda, Maybe... Yoda does not want anybody else. Yo, Joe put That's on right. space sunglasses. Mm, too cool for you. No, no, only robots. Nobody yeah. takes the spotlight away from Yoda. You know what? I respect it. You're a one man show. I totally get that. So, yes. well, I I personally like the last one. Rage Against the Palpatines was very good. I'm not a fan of the second one. That that's my vote. Royce Force One. Yeah, yeah. That that's probably my least favorite. I like the other two, but definitely the last one. I but like the t-shirts. Jodas. But t-shirts say MF One. Mm, nice t-shirt. Mm, logo. Yes. Yeah. Good logo. Hard to it, make. Hard to make a logo for Yoda's big jizz ragtime band. That's I think not. That's not get you in trouble. 
you could you could give out like like towels like decorative towels mm, yes yes so people rags. have big they, they, they would call them rags because it's rag time you, you know our friend Brian from Pink Milk? He actually has... Somebody gifted him a towel, and it's embroidered, and it says Raylo Fluids on it. So, mm, you know. So, yeah, Yoda could wear... Yoda could have, like, towels to... to to Between songs to dry off sweat, throw to audience, and... Yeah! Audience, yay! Yoda's jizz rag! Yay! Yeah, that sounds great. They them, yes. Mm, take them home. Memorabilia. I I so the on eBay one. they will. Yeah, I feel. And, well, maybe mm. it's a little your mitochondria, your mitochondrions. No, there. yes, no. Palpatine mm, cloning. <gasps> That's bad, how bad, Palpatine bad returns. Bad idea. That's how Palpatine returns. <laughs> you at your concert and caught one of your jizz rags. Pal- Palpatine got Yoda's jizz rag. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, Yoda. Well, I'm going to send you on your way. We got to talk about Andor, so. Thank God. Holy cow. Am I missing a reference with Moist Force One? I, I don't know. I I okay. think just like Moist. Because I got the Ridge Against the Machines, and I got the Ragtime, like the, the jizz band. I got that one, but I wasn't sure if I was there was a band I was missing with Moist I Force One. it's just because Yoda's a moist boy, that's why. And there's already a band called Moist Boys, so he can't be, he can't be uh, Moist Boys. Sued. Gotcha, gotcha. Moist Boys. All right. Well, I'm going to take a drink of my drink. Mm. And you, are you ready to wrap up the puppy that is the first arc of Andor? I am. All right. <clears throat> we open first with the flashbacks, and we're back on Canari. And a little recap last week, Baby Casa is going on his first mission with all the other teenagers called the Alphas. Don't ask why they're called the Alphas. I don't fucking know. Um, anyway, they get to the ship. It's a crash ship. There are dead people everywhere. The leader gets shot by a person who's actually not dead. And his tribe gets really sad and they carry the leader away and he gets big mad. So, on to this week. Casa climbs onto the crash ship. And he gets in there and he starts poking around some dead bodies. And they're this like horrible like shade of like really gross yellow. And he's just like, huh, I guess they're all dead. And he gets into the middle area and he's just like, whoa, technology. Is that what I look like? I'm also mad because it's this ship's fault that my friend is dead. And he goes into a rage and he starts smashing stuff and getting revenge on the ship for his fallen leader. But that's okay because elsewhere on the ship, there's Marva and Clem and B2 Emo. And B2 Emo looks great. And I was reading that, you know, he's younger because B2 Emo doesn't stutter in, in this younger flashback. So yeah. And they are pillaging the ship for parts. And Clem is like, uh, we should leave <laughs> because we have more than enough. And Marva's like, come on, where's your sense of adventure? I didn't realize that I married somebody who wasn't didn't like adventure. And Clem's like, no, you married somebody who likes to not die. Let's go. And they're just really cute because they're like bickering back and forth and stuff like that. But oh no, they hear Cassian in a rage. And so they go over there and they find Cassian. And Cassian's just like, oh my god, people! And they're like, holy shit, a kid! And they kind of stare at each other because there is a language barrier and they can't understand each other. And (laughs) Marva's like, Clem, Clem, 
Clem. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, Marva, no, we can't. And she's like, if we don't take him, the Republic will kill him. And he's like, that's not our problem, Marva. You know, just we can't if we take him, we're going to be separating him from his people. And Marva's like, give me the dowser. And Clem's like, what what are you doing? And Marva makes a split second decision and decides that she doesn't want to leave Cassian to be killed by the Republic. And she douses him and she takes him. And Clem's like, did we just adopt a child? Marva? And Clem and Marva leave with B2 Emo and they take Casa from Canari. And on Marva and Clem's ship, Casa wakes up. And he looks out the window, and he's starting a new adventure. Bum ba da bum. Anyway, back in the present, on Ferrix, we open in the scrapper's yard, and Cassian is just like, "Hey, Brasso! Hi, Brasso! Hi, Mister Future of the Rebellion! You're a hero!" And Brasso's like, "No, I'm not. What's up?" And Cass is like, "I'm going to leave all the money with Marva, and I'm leaving. Tell Marva that I have money for everybody, including you." And Brasso's like, oh, I know something's wrong because you're paying me back. <laughs> What's going on? And Cass is like, I can't talk about it. Okay, bye. And Brasso is big concern. During all this, Luthen arrives on Ferrix. And he's just like, bye, Willie. Willie's like, bye. Never see you again. Okay, bye. And he starts walking through Ferrix and he meets up with Bix. And Bix is like, so Cassian's ready to meet you. He has a thingy to sell to you. Also, what is going on with the Corpos? Because they put out, up a bulletin looking for Cassian. And it turns out Luthen knows all about Cassian. He knows he's from Canari. He knows that all this. And we don't know why. And Bix is like, look, he's in that building over there. Go meet with him. And Luthen's like, okay. Speaking of the Corpos, they arrive on Ferrix. So we have Linus Mosk, and he is all just like, yeah, I'm so ready to bully these people. And then there's uh, Cyril Karn. Uh, he's so good, I needed a burp. Uh, Cyril Karn is just like, I am trying to project leadership. Do I look like a leader, sir? And Linus is like, you look like a really good leader, sir. And Cyril's like... Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm making like a lizard face over here, by the way. <laughs> anyway, the corpos land on Ferrix and then move out. Oh, it's 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 coming across. <laughs> okay, yeah. good. You got it. You got it. <laughs> good, 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 good. <laughs> I don't know what made me just go with Cyril Karn, Karn Lizard Man, but you know what? <laughs> it's Tuesday. It's fine. Uh, where am I? Uh, there I am. Meanwhile, as the Corpos are landing, all the people of Ferrix are like, Why are the Corpos here? It's not time for them to be there. And Brasso, being the hero of the Rebellion, realizes, Oh shit! They're here for Cassian! Fuck, fuck, fuck! What have you done now? So the Corpos first go to Marva, and they knock on her door, and Marva opens the door and just goes, Oh, fuck me! She tries to close the door, but she's a cute, tiny little old lady, and... <laughs> Cyril comes in, and he's just like, I am here looking for Cassian Andor to serve Lady Justice. And Marva looks at him and goes, Oh, I bet you listen to Big Jizz Ragtime, don't you, boy? And he's just like, That's no. Where's Cassian? And they start rag ransacking Marva's house, 
And Marva is just standing out to them, and she's like, look, man, I don't, I'm not going to tell you where my son is. And he's like, fine. Do you know who I am? And she's like, I literally don't know who you are. And Cyril's like, my name's Cyril, and I'm going to pick on someone my own size. This half-broken droid. And it goes over to B2 Emo. And B2 is just like, why? Marva! Marva, help me! And he's like, and she's like, don't give him anything, Bimo. You're strong. And you're stronger than this little limp, wet noodle man. And Cyril's like, ow. I'm not, I'm a big noodle man. And he gets down to B2 Emo's and he face and he kind of starts kind of pushing Pushing B2 Emo around like, where's Cassian? Tell me where it is. And B2 Emo is like, why are you bullying me? And then remember last episode. When Cassian got the comms from B2 Emo. This is the reason why. Because I said put a pen in it. Because Cassian chooses this exact moment. While the Corpos are there. To call B2. And Cassian's like, hey B2 Emo. I hope this is a good time. Tell Marba that uh, she needs to remember to put the heat on. And to not leave the kettle on too much, though, because, you know, burnt tea sucks. And just tell her that I love her and stuff. And, yeah, also, can you hear me, Bitsuimo? And during this, Cyril's like, That's fucking him, my precious! <laughs> I can't keep doing faces with him! Holy <laughs> cow. My question is, why does it even have to play out loud in the... It doesn't have to play out loud. It can just play inside the droid, right? It can play in his head. He's just a droid. It might be how B2 is structured. Also, the plot wouldn't move along. I know, I know. The answer is plot. (laughs) But logically, I don't know. Anyway, the Corpos are like, We got him! And they, they pinpoint Cassian's location and... They look out the window and the Phyrexians, 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 I don't know what to call these people. The Phyrexians are gathering on Marva's place and they're like, why are you bullying an old lady? Leave her alone. And Cyril's like, people, I don't know what to do with people. (laughs) Mosk, what should we do? And Mosk is like, good show of force. Uh, We're going to leave two people here. We're going to go get that Cassian, guys, and let's go. They all head out. This is about the time that Luthen arrives to talk with Cassian to make a quote-unquote deal for the Sarpath unit. Now, between Cassian and Luthen's scene and everything else happening on Ferex, there's a lot of cutting back and forth. I'm just going to tackle one at a time. So first, Luthen and Cassian. They get there and Luthen's like, Cassian Andor, hello, I'm not going to tell you my name and I'm here to buy that Starpath unit. And, and Cassian's like, cool, I want my money. And then they feel each other out for like 10 minutes. Not like that. Um, and so, and they're trying to sleuth each other out. Luthen's like, how did you get these things from the Empire? And Cassian's like, it's really easy. You just walk in. And Luthen's like, huh. I'm the leader of the rebellion. I never thought about that. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, do, do, have you ever walked into a garrison? That's going to be really important in the next arc. And Cassian goes, what's an arc? I'm just leaving. Where's my money? And they go back and forth, trying to like like figure out who's telling what. And finally, Luthen wins the war of attrition because he brings up Cassian's father being hanged by the Empire. And Luthen's like, hi, I know everything about you, your dad, your mom, what, what happened here, how he died also. Yeah, and Cassian's just like, oh my god. 
who the fuck are you? And he puts, holds him at gunpoint. And Luthen looks at him and goes, don't you want to fight these bastards for real? And now we're going to go back to the Phyrexia, the Phyrexians, Phyrexians. And we find out uh, Wilman Pack sees the Corpos leaving Mar- Marva's house. And Wilman runs to his father's Salmon Pack. And the two of them run to go warn Bix that the Corpos are looking for ca- uh, Cass. And Bix and Salmon are just like, oh my god. They must have been here about the Canary guy. Somebody must have ratted Cassian out. And Bix is like, oh my god, oh my god, I have to go find Cassian. And when she tries to leave, Mr. Tim, Mr. Tim, her her boyfriend, stops her and goes, he can take care of himself. And Bix looks like she's about to stab him because she's like, Tim, how, how do you know what we're talking about? Who's the he? And Tim's like, uh, 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 you want more sex? And she's like, fuck you. I told you that in confidence that he was from Canari. And she walks on out of them, and Tim follows. And as the corpos start moving in around to Cassian's location, because by now they know he's there, Salmon and Wilman start the warning. And the people of Ferex start spreading messages banging on whatever metal they have in the streets. And everybody in Ferex moves, so I'm sure you're playing it by now. Everybody in Ferex move about and the shopkeepers and the scrappers, everybody from Brasso to like the, the guy, uh, Zanwin, I think his name was, everybody starts moving because they know what this means. Trouble is brewing and it's time to defend Ferex. And the Corpos, being the mob cops they are, just like, oh, look at this bluster with their cute little triangle sets. Anyway, we're going to ignore this and keep going. And then we switch back to Luthen. Because Luthen's like, what's that sound? And Cassian's like, uh, that's danger. I also am still holding you at gunpoint. And Luthen's like, whatever. And he starts going through basic spy stuff with Cassian. He's just like, oh, you have a calm on you? Lesson number one, don't do that. And he starts giving like all these tips of like how to get out of the room until they start realizing that they're surrounded because they start seeing people moving around. And Luthen is like, all right, how do we get out? And Cassian's like, uh, if we go through that hole, it will take us under a thing and we'll get out on the other side of town. And Luthen's like, that's great. Let's do that. And during all this, the corpos are moving into space and Cyril is like, I'm getting frazzled. And Mask is like, keep it up, sir. Not getting frazzled, but we're almost there. And they're all getting crazy and turned around because a battle breaks out. Luthen blows the door, which starts to shoot out as Cassian tries to get tries and fails to get the Star Path unit. And that's important. Please note that he does not get the Star Path unit, because that's gonna be important next week. Anyway, Cyril and Mosk are all frazzled because they don't know how many people are there fighting, and everything's crazy, and there's also this loud banging of metal everywhere, and the corpos are like, ah! And during all this, Bix takes a wrong turn, and she gets cornered by another group of corpos. And that other group of corpos are like, you, we're really confused, where are we? And she's like, I don't know, and she tries to run away. And they rough her up and handcuff her to a wall. But then, Tim, who's an idiot, shows up, and he's just like, what are you doing to my girlfriend? And they're like, sir, stop. Don't you dare come closer. And he's like, I'm gonna ignore these rules. And he runs at them, and they shoot Tim dead in front of Bix, and she's just like, oh my god, you just killed my boyfriend! What the fuck? And 
then the corpos even look a little shocked themselves, and they're like, uh, let's go! And the corpos turn and they leave Fix with Tem's body, because they're assholes. Meanwhile, as all this stuff is happening, and people are sh having shootouts, and the factory that Luthen and Cassian is collapsing, and Fix is chained to a wall, we get this awesome shot of Brasso. And Brasso is swaggering through the shipyard. Because he's walking away from one of the Corpo ships. Because he just did something super duper sneaky. And he's walking away from it. So Mosk and Cyril this time decide it's time to stop playing Mall Cop and play real big boy stormtroopers. And they move out their forces and they try to corner Luthen and Cass. And back with Marva, those few Corpos are getting real nervous. And Marvel's, Marva is like... Ha 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 ha. You hear that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, what's that sound, lady? What does that mean? And she says, that's the first sounds of your precious little empire eventually falling. And when the sound stops, you're all fucked. <laughs> and then the banging, the banging metal sound stops. And everyone's like, oh no. And Cyril takes his position. Because, you know, he has to. And... <laughs> He gets his blaster ready. He's in the door and he's like, I'm a real big stormtrooper now. Here we go. It's gonna be great. And then he gets a blaster pressed to the back of his forehead. Because it's Cassian and Luthen, who has like gone through the underground tunnels and they're fine. And Cassian and Luthen are just like, Hi there. So uh put your stuff down and we're gonna tie you up. And Luthen's like, tie him up? Let's just kill him. And Cassian's like, No, we can't kill him. And Luthen's like, why? Cassian's like, for plot! He's like, oh, fuck, fuck plot. So, they tie up Cyril and they leave him behind. But something to note is that Cyril does hear Luthen talk, but he never sees his face. So keep that noted for later on. So they tie him up and they move on. And meanwhile, the Corpo dude who shot Tim gets on his ship and he takes off. But uh-oh, it's Brasso's surprise! And he is towed... He has a tow line sticking to a very heavy piece of metal, and that shot that ship just slingshots right into a tower and explodes. And Lieutenant Moss sees that. He's like, is that ours? And the other corpus are like, I think they're behind us. And he turns, and history is made, because Mosk looks at the camera and he goes, Shit! What is happening? I just said shit in Star Wars! Shit! Shitty shit! 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 Shit, 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 shit. And then everyone moved on in their lives because it's not really that big of a deal. Anyway, Luthen and Cassian get to a speeder. And Cassian's like, I have a crazy idea. And Luthen's like, I love crazy ideas. Let's do it. And Cassian's like, how many more explosives do you have? And also, do you know how to drive? And he's like, yeah, let's go. Even though I just realized Cassian drives. Um, so Cyril gets found by another corpo. And... The other corpo unties him, and Cyril runs outside, and he sees a speeder zooming by, and he's like, That's them! Stop them! And all the corpos start shooting at the speeder, and they ground the thing, and they start moving in, and it's a ruse! And Luthen explodes the first speeder, and he injures a bunch of corpos, and Cyril makes lizard noises, and then he and Cassian speed off on a bike! And Cyril is just standing there looking at the carnage with this look of like, holy shit, we are so fired. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this went horribly. And I failed you, lady. Just this, <laughs> I'm sorry. And Marva sits alone in the wreck ruins of Cassian's childhood bedroom, a B2 emo 
And Pack comes to save Bix and takes her away from Tim's body. And Brasso drinks alone, looking haunted by his actions. And Cassian and Luthen get to Luthen's ship and they fly off into the sunset to start a new adventure on Aldani. The end. Now you talk for a second while I blow my nose. Uh, um, just, uh, I just realized it while we, while you were reading this is, uh, that this had a, uh, a little tribute to, uh, George Lucas movie in it. That's not star Wars, but oh, really? CD. Yep. Brasso, Bra- Brasso hooking the, the big chunk of uh, equipment up to the, their their ship is right out of American Graffiti. There's one scene where the po- cops are parked down the street from like the soda shop or whatever, and they they uh, run a chain to the cop's axle and hook it to like you know a pole on the street. So when the cop drives away, it just yanks the axle out from the bottom of the car. It, it was not. Fatal oh. in American Graffiti, but it was the same same idea, you know. Yeah, a little 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 like cartoon trick played on on the cops. So I thought I, that's that's pretty cool, and it's not like overt, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. just, it, but it's nice. It's nice. So yeah, I'll just let you uh, wade into your your uh, notes, and I'll I'll uh, shove so- my thin notes in there. I want to go ahead and talk about something at the top because um, when I load my Disney Plus, it always gives like a little like a little like warning TV 14, blah, blah. And it says this is the first time I ever had a warning for strong coarse language because this is also the first time we've had the word shit in Star Wars. You want to hear something funny? What? I watched this on I watched this on a streaming service, which I think sourced it sourced a cut of it from network tv because oh, there was no they did shit run, in my, they there did was run, no shit in. yeah they did run andor on cable for a few times yes and i think i w- saw the cable cut because i'm like wait isn't i'm i'm i know i remember where it was in the story and we whipped right past that part and i'm like oh i must have misremembered that and it just never showed up and i ended up backing over and going like i must have was i not paying attention for a second and just missed it and nope it, it was not in the the cut so there's a cut of this that is just without shit and it plays you know what it plays pretty much as much as the same as with with shit with or without shit it plays about the same yeah and i, and I do want to talk about that for a second like what do you think about this kind of uh, creep of strong language in well, these classic franchises? Because I, I want to hear your well, opinion, and then I'll weigh in. Okay, well, I'll I'll, I'll address. So I, I know having a the elephant in the Star room Trek. that's not in there that that's not an elephant that you it's in it's not in your room because you're not a Star Trek person. But it's just sort of started with Star Trek when Star Trek Discovery had a character say basically i think she said fuck yeah science or like or science is fucking great or something something like that something very meme you know and like it was i don't want to say it was cringy because it was beyond it was embarrassing it was embarrassing to see it you know it was just like 
come it's like yeah there's a there's a like like star trek the characters the people say that they're kind of wooden and stuff but they're all like work they're on like a a spaceship and they're prof- they're they're very professional you know and 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 the newer star trek that so it was very cringy so i like was when when it happened i was like oh no but at the same time if he said poodoo or he said dank ferrick it would have sounded goofy and it, and and it was not a goofy moment. You know, if he would have said "poodoo," it would have really just been dumb. You know, sounded dumb. So the shit worked, but the only problem is, it's just it calls attention to itself because it's out there. But you know what? I mean, they've been speaking English through. You know, I mean, like for a character to stub his toe and like say the Lord's name in vain would not make sense. You know. Because it's specific, but shit, you know, you could pass shit off as being, you know, they say shit that it's in it. What does it mean? It means shit, you know, just like when they say, let's walk over to the cantina. It means walk and canteen, you know, it's so, you know, and yes, they would have all their, but like, even like, what was it? Firefly where they would say, uh, frack or no, was it frack? Frack was from, uh, frack was from Battlestar Galactica. I think so. But yeah. you know. But like, it's still it ends up turn, sounding like baby talk, you know, when you when you fake swear. So, so, but it wasn't it. The, like I have to say, this is the only moment close to a like, I didn't like it, didn't play right in the show, and it still it played right. I thought it played right, but it was close. You know, it 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 it, it took me out of it for a second to be like, oh geez, but that's more of like, how are people going to react to this? Because it doesn't bother I'm, me. You know? I'm so used to like swears in TV shows that I didn't realize it until I got on Twitter and someone's like, someone, they said shit in the show. And I was like, where? <laughs> I had to go back. I was like, oh yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, it was, it was not, it was not like shoehorned in. It's in the Star Trek episode. It was like, Here's a big moment. Star Trek can swear. So they're gonna, we're gonna, and you know, and, and I bet you they were thinking too, like, if this goes over well, maybe we'll get some boobies in there, you know, or something like that, you know, and, and it didn't go well. (laughs) And it didn't really resurface after that, the, the swearing on Star Trek. As far as I know, I, I stopped watching Discovery after a while, but, um, it, it really, it, I, it, 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 as far as like a decision to to make, I think they made the right decision into like, should we do shit or should we do a Star Wars word? Should we make up our own? They could have made up their own or whatever. But either way, it was probably going to call attention to itself. So might as well do it. And it and it like it it like for an actor also like an actor knows how to say shit, you know, <laughs> and, and and in a in a you know, real life context where poodoo is like, you know, how do they say poodoo and still sound not sound like a two year old, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 happy with it. And and it was and, and it didn't become a trend in the show or anything. It was just something that was of that moment. So. Yeah. So here here's my two thoughts about it. Um first I should say like swearing is a thing that doesn't bother me. I'm right. a believer that 
words only have as much power as you put into them. And so, for example, of like, I remember, I very vividly remember the first time I said what the hell as a child, because my older sister always said it, and I was just saying a word, and my mom chewed me out so much, and I, I just remember being so confused of like, I didn't mean the literal hell, I was just saying a word, and now I, I should say that, yes, Power, words only have as much power as you put into them, but there are certain words that you should just not say, like the N-word and stuff like that. And also be aware of, like, other people. Like, I don't mind saying the C-word, but I also know the C-word is, like, offensive to other people. So, you know, be mindful and respectful of the people around you. But my Irish friend will say the C-word every three words in a sentence because that's just how right. that, that person it's talks. cultural. Yeah. yeah British people, cultural. too, are, are a lot freer with it. It has yeah. a sort of different meaning too, though it it, 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 it does. really does have a different meaning. It is a, it is a, it is a name to call a person, but like yeah, in America we've really made it specific, you know, gender specific. Whereas, in like I've noticed in like yet yeah, like Britain and Ireland, and stuff, and and to a I think in Australia they use it too. It's mostly guys. Yeah. <laughs> That, like, that seem to get that that designation, you know. So it's it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah. And and it's not like, and it's not like our designation of calling another guy the name for uh, a name for female genitalia, which is like saying you're weak and stuff. That this one's just could can mean like you're vile. You're it just means generally like <laughs> extreme unpleasantness, you know. It's yeah, which. But like yeah. I, I say the c word often to my best friend when we're just like chatting and stuff like that. But I'm not gonna say it on the show because I'm aware that it makes some people uncomfortable. And I try to like you know I'm not gonna say like stuff like that. And so like so my 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 thought process coming into hit this was shit doesn't bother me because shit as a word does not bother me. Um, that said, I think it really depends on the tone of the show and how it's being used. Because I remember when Clone Wars came out and they took the word, they took out the clone saying, what the hell in the episode rookies, because that has a much younger target demographic. And while I, I think it's stupid as hell to take out what the hell from, from Clone Wars. I understand why they did it because it is, it was at the time a show on Cartoon Network. And I think that if they are going to move into like using the occasional, like, hard swears here and there. I think this is the right amount. We get one shit in the show and that's it. This is the right amount. If they yeah. are going to move into it, as long as it fits the tone of the show, the character saying it, and it doesn't detract from like the scene and the emotion, that's fine. Shit works in Andor. It would not work in Star Wars Resistance, you know? No. And so I don't mind it, but I do think there should be a certain line. Because in the final episode, during Marva's funeral sh uh, speech, she she originally filmed it, ending the speech saying, fuck the Empire. I do think fuck is too hard of a swear. That is one that we're probably never going to get in the Star Wars. Because of the fact people are so, I don't know why, but people get so up in arms about the word fuck. Because I guess it has something to do with like coitus. I don't know why people yeah, are just I, fine with I, shit. I think but not it fuck. might be. It, I think it depends on how. I, I think it depends on how. It, fuck is usually one of those. 
fun, one of those words like like if I was if I was to swear in front of my parents and I said hell damn or pissed off or something like that, I would get a I would get a much milder yelling at if I said as if I'd said fucker oh, motherfucker I would have been like. But what did you just got, say? I would have ass whooping. Yeah, exactly. So I think that 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 might be hardwired into people's heads, and also it being that high on the swear level, you know, like it's it's just it's just we, it, people get also get angry at anything that takes, especially when you're talking fantasy or genre entertainment they don't want to be taken out of it you know they don't want yeah. things to take them out of it and that can take you know it would take me out of it. it the shit took me out of it for half a second you know but now i've gotten used to it and it doesn't take me out of, well i i missed it the first time and the second time i watched it i was actually listening for it, and i was like okay but like now i'm like used to it and maybe because i write star wars that has swearing in it i, I don't yeah. know but it I wasn't, do it get wasn't that, sledgehammered in, you know? Yeah, I, I do get that it can break the realism of the world. I, I do understand that, especially in fantasy. You know, if if you had Gandalf just being like, God damn it, all the, like that would really take you out of like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so so I do get it. And, I, and just so, so I, I guess my point of this is like, it doesn't bother me, but I understand why it bothers people because it can especially because so much of our slang, uh, so much of our swear words are slang in our real world, I do understand that it can break the immersion. And so I don't mind it every once in a while, um, especially if it fits the tone and the characters. But I don't want to shit in every show. <laughs> no, no, I don't want it to become a part, really a, a part of, you know, if it, if it turns up here and there, okay, you know, but yeah, really it's, and there's really no reason uh, uh, to to it, you know. I do want to say though, I, I I want the Bad Batch to say a "What the hell" one time as justice for the episode "Rookies" because that was actually Echo's first appearance as rookies, and his brother said "What the hell," and he get should get to say "What let Echo swear, <laughs> let him say hell," and then yeah. and then Hunter will cover Omega's ears and be like, oh, "You swore," and Omega would be like, "What the fuck." Echo, come on! You can't swear for the child, and everybody will stare at Omega and then look at Crosshair, and, and Crosshair's like, "What the fuck are you looking at? I didn't teach you how to say fuck, fuck you." I would, I would, I would. And that's spot season three of Wrecker's, Bad Batch, everybody. I would spot Wrecker as the the one who'd swear just how is you know slipping out, and, and then he'd be like, "Oh, sorry, kid, the kids are out," but like it would just come out because he's just kind of Wrecker, you know. I think Wrecker and Crosshair, but they would do it like I think Wrecker, Wrecker would be accidental, but Crosshair would just be like, "I didn't teach her how to say fuck." I'll fuck teach you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Crosshairs will teach her the swears. Wrecker will just say them every once in a while and like be like, "Oh, geez, embarrassed," and she'll laugh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So my sister Jen, who was on our podcast uh, a few months ago, uh, when we were growing, when uh, when prolific swear. Yes. So when she was uh, not she, when my niece and nephew were younger, (laughs) because my sister's such a big swearer, she would act. Sometimes she would accidentally swear in front of her children, and she would point them and go, "Don't repeat, mom." (laughs) And that that would be like what record would be. He'd be like, "Don't repeat me, Omega." Yeah. The disclaimer that's never going to work. Yep. But it's yep, a good yep. disclaimer. You 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 got to put it out there and say, well, I told them never. I told them. Yep. Um. So my next thing is, I just love that there's a droid, and its only function is to be stairs. 
I thought of the same uh, same thing. There's a Rick and Morty Morty thing where he builds a robot and and uh, like <laughs> the robot is you know father father what is my meaning in life and it's like <laughs> to bring the butter over to the <laughs> to the toast. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, I was also thinking. You notice at the port, there's a lot of canes. Everybody's walking around with a cane. And I think a cane is like either a status symbol or sort of like you're a trader. You know, you're a businessman. You're something you're a visiting businessman. Like they all have canes. Everybody like around the port was walking around with long jackets and canes. So I think it was a style of the people who come to like, you know, kind of deal. And then when he got then when he got into the more working class part of town, when he was going into town, Zuppi took his cane down and put it in his pocket so he could just sort of blend into the normal non-cane-carrying people, you know? I I but, missed that at were, the port, but I do have a note about the cane that I will come to later. But I, I did miss that at the port. I didn't, that's that's interesting. I'll have to go back to the a, If you go back and look at it, like everybody that's walking around with a jacket like Luthen that's like looking like they just got off a shuttle all have this, uh, the same sort of cane, the same sort of thin lightsabery, you know, retractable cane. And so I'm thinking it's it's a sort of, you know, a status symbol, you know, it's it like it says who you are, you know, I'm here, I'm here on business, you know, and look, I got a nice cane. <laughs> yeah, I have a few. Actually, where did I? No, I'm going to come back to that. Um I actually don't have as many notes as I thought I did. I mean, I do have a lot of notes, but not as many as I thought I did. Um, where am I? Um, I'm just going to, I think I mentioned this last week, and I'm just going to mention it again. I would love to know how Luthen, A, knows about Cassian being from Canari, and B, knows so much about his family and his past. And I think I said last week that I bet Luthen was either friends with Marth, Marva or Clem. But then I had the realization of what if Cassian's sister is in his network? And that's a season two reveal. Because be. the the sister angle, um, we, yeah. we, we talked about maybe, this, I think, maybe in episode the sister, one. Maybe the sister, uh, yeah. And then it, that, would be, that would be interesting because it would turn out that the sister actually ended up finding him. Yeah. Because um, I think we were talking about an episode when we were covering episode one. We were talking about, like, there's a chance that we'll never come back to the sister storyline um, and all that stuff. But I think that would be a cool way to come back to it. Of it's it's it, That's interesting. It, it sort of clashes a little bit with the fact that they were probably going to off Cassie in it <laughs> after, after the second arc. You know, that Luthan oh, was, like, pretty, like. I have some notes so, about but, that. I mean, we'll get we'll get to that, but like, I'm sure Cassian's sister would be like. But then again, Luthen's pretty ruthless. So. But Cassian's sister, he did leave her and not come back. And Marva That's made right. it sound like the Republic would have came and killed their tribe. So I'm sure if we had a translation for what they said instead of just speaking Canarian, he would have said something like, "I promise, I'll be back. I won't leave you." And that she was kind of last. indicates that because she goes to like yeah. run after him as he's leaving and he turns and he says something to her. Yeah. And, it, and it, like the body language is there. Yes. And yeah, so, yeah. 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 You know that, that, that there was some sort of promise not to, to leave her behind. And, mm -hmm. and he did. Yeah. So, um, though 
if it's not the Cassian sister, I kind of hope it's Cassian father, Clem. Because I, I do like Clem, and but he's not in the show as much as Marva, because, of course, Clem has passed away at this time, and he's only in flashbacks. And I, I would like to know more about Clem. I think he's an interesting little character. And, yeah. Um, which which goes into my like my next note is I really like his relationship um, with Marva. I think they're very cute. I love their opening scene of them on the ship, and she's all just like, "Yeah, adventure!" And Clem's like, "Oh, we have nine minutes. We need to get the hell out of here. We have so much money, honey." And like he's kind of like the like neurotic, panicky one, and she's just like, "Yeah, fuck adventure!" And I love that balance in romantic couples. Um, lately, I've been watching a hell of a boss, and Moxie and Millie are like that. And they're very, by the way, if you want to watch a really cool gay show and it's free, it's on YouTube and it's called Hell of a Boss. Go check it out and support Indie Free gay animation. shows on YouTube. It's it's Indie Animation and it's really great. Go check it out. Um, oh. But the, one of the main couples is Moxie and Millie and she's like that too. And she's all just like, yeah, adventure. And Moxie is like the more calm, ner- well, he's neurotic and he's paranoid. But he's like the kind of grounded one while she's the one that's like, let's run into danger. And I like that. I love Let's adopt a kid. <laughs> yeah they would <laughs> actually no they- i mean he's you they've probably talked about it because they she gives him a look and he goes no no and like the, <laughs> I, I bet you that refer like the right the way the writing is is that refer at some point they're like you know sometimes sometimes we have a kid he's like you know come on marva we're old and she's like yeah you never know we might pick one on the way you know or or, or, or like it's too bad we never, you know, we never had I, kids. I actually touched on that last week in my extra info notes. So when I was talking about Fiona Shaw, um, one of the stories that she had came up with for Marva was her and Clem were just so busy with their adventures that they just never had time to have a kid. And here's Casa, and they're just like, child! <laughs> or maybe they met when they were older, you know, maybe they yeah. met past childbearing age and just, you know, or whatever, they just, yeah. Yeah, but like it, you get the feeling that he's just like, oh shit, I know what's going on here. She's finally getting her chance, you know. And uh, what's funny is when when she when she asked the droid for the 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 um, trank, um, I thought she like when the first time I watched it, I thought she was just gonna be like, you know, translate emo, translate, <laughs> you know. It, but it's like, no, we'll just we'll just knock him out. <laughs> But yeah, they had that, they had that, that like working, working, you know, perfect partners know how to bicker couple, but they, there, there's no anger in anything that they're doing. They, they, it's just a little bit of bickering, but they're not angry. And when they're rolling away from the ship, they still have a full, they have all six of their, the things that they were coming to get, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they know what they're, 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 they're a, a, a you know, a a crack team. And even though we don't get to see much of Clem, um, we know how he resonated with Cassian. Because, like, when Cassian goes to Aldani, he uses his father's name as his alibi, as a pseudonym. Um, It goes by Clem. And then we get later on, I think, in the back half of of, of the season, like, flashbacks with his father. And before Marva's funeral, Cassian goes to his funeral brick to have a flashback. And he goes to see his father's funeral break because he'll probably never come back home. He doesn't know when he's going to come home. He, he stops to, like, respect his father. And so it shows that, like, Clem, like, even though Marva's like, surprise child! You know, Clem didn't hold it against her. And he just as much raised Cassian as a good father as she did. 
So, but I will talk about the shadiness of it, of them just abducting a child later. Anyway, let's talk about Brasso. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a, there's abducting a child. Yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I'm, I have a note to talk about like all the flashbacks together because I've been kind of not talking about the flashbacks for the first two episodes and I kind of want to talk about them as a whole, at least the Canary ones. Um, ha- fuck, we're here now. Why not now, Hope? It's your podcast. Let me screw all the way yep. back down to the bottom. So about the Canary flashbacks, I've heard a lot of feedback and criticism about them that people would say that the flashbacks don't really add anything to the plot of the story. <sighs> I fully disagree with that. This has come into a conversation Scott Gardner and I were just having on the on the in the Two True Freaks Cantina about about um some about the current Mandalorian plot, but like uh, in the way people people want stuff to like immediately resolve you know it's like that like um you know in the mandalorian it had that like probably 40 minute chunk of of uh of the doctor and getting reform that whole that whole arc and everybody's like i loved it it went nowhere and you know it did nothing for the story and stuff like that and it's like jesus christ can't you wait it's so obvious. It's so obviously setting. This is a conversation I was having with Scott Gardner because it didn't resolve into anything. You know, it had its own little story arc, but it didn't resolve into anything meaningful up to that point in this in the main storyline. That they're just like, well, that was useless, and it's like I I do okay. get. It's, obvi- it's the- so obviously not useless. It's so obviously building a foundation for something to come down the line. I, I get so that. I, I think it is, has been jarring um, to go from an episodic format where every episode of Mandalorian was self-contained adventure building to a serial format. Um, and I, and I it shouldn't pretty, be, though. I, I don't understand why it should be. I, I know. But I, I do agree that I don't think it's being executed well. Um, and I, I myself am a little frustrated that we're literally at the halfway point of Mandalorian and we're not quite sure where we're going because at least season one and season two had like, get Grogu to here, get Grogu to his people. Like it had like a clear direction. And so I know that I can tell that it's building towards something. I understand it. And it's building this world of the Mandalorians. And there's so much like undertone, like undercurrent Judaism analogies going on here. And I can see that there's a, there's, a, there's like Judaism. I was watching a really good breakdown of all the different. There's like three major like. Yeah. Like <laughs> they, they, screen crush. Because <laughs> I watched that video too. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> About how the glass is actually. Folks, that's action. it. We're done. We're just closing up the podcast. Just go watch screen. Go crush. watch screen crush. It's fine. They, um, we don't have a dog. We just have cats that get in our lap every once in a while. You can't even see them. God damn it. I can hear my. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah they, it's. But like, it's I, I, I do get the religious. frustration of being like at the halfway point and not quite knowing where we're going. I can tell that we're building to something, but unlike the first two seasons, it was very clear what they were building towards. So I, I understand that because I am a little frustrated, but I'm also very patient and I don't mind waiting. What's the, what is, what is, what are we hurrying up to, to, to hog down the last, the next piece of media? You know, it's like, 
enjoy it and 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 go like, oh, that doesn't make sense now. But I I've had experienced enough Dave Filoni to know that sometimes, you know, when you know two seasons from now when we or when or when when we go back and watch this season, it'll be like, oh shit, they were setting this up and this was setting up and then all of a sudden it, it makes sense or, you know, it, who knows, or it might all make sense. The next episode, we don't know. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm more like I, I, I am, it's out of my control as to where it's going and how it gets there. So I can, you know, all I, all I can do is sort of watch and, 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 you know, yeah, I'll, you know, yeah. I'll, I can wait. <laughs> But we're not a Mandalorian, so let's talk about how the Canary flashbacks are great and how they add to the story. Um, Because for one, incredibly, yeah. Because I I think for one, like the very basic point is, even if we never seen Cassian's sister again, him looking for his sister was the inciting incident for the show. It's the whole reason that the rest of the show happens. So even if we like don't see her his search for her is the inciting incident. It's what kicks off the show. So that's just from a narrative perspective of how well, like that's important because also some, something important's happening there with that ship and like, and probably something's happening in the whole story of Canary. Cause it's very, you know, and they, and they're very carefully giving you all sorts of visual clues in there as to what's going on. Like they, they, they're, just a beautiful shot of his feet as he's walking through the woods and you see he's wearing probably like casual shoes, like slipper type shoes that are in pretty good shape, but you know, they're like made for like casual wear, but that's what he's got. And he's got sort of like cloth stuffed in there for socks and then a rope to tie to keep him on. So it gives you little clues as to what was there before what was there after what they have to work with that they probably haven't been there super long because his boots are in pretty good shape. You know, it, it, it gives you all these little things and it's, and, and then we find obvi- out that there is a mining accident under the yeah, Republic uh, that mining, might, that probably changed everything. Republic, yeah. And we're looking at like parts of the Republic that were starting to be the Palpatineized Republic be before the he was open. It's yeah, like the beginning yeah. so, of the separatist movement. So there's all this stuff going going on with it. And, you know, and everything is also not just mechanics of story and stuff. You know, you can be poetic. You can do something that sets a tone that, that you know, we're, we're looking at the, you know, our, our main character, everything that happened. In, in those parts is a fundamental part of his life. So yeah. seeing something that happened that there might not tell you this, anything about what happens when we see it, but there might, there's going to be points in time in the future where, so, you know, that part of his past might influence his action or there might be something that echoes it. And so then, you know, it has something that's happening has resonance for him. So it clues you into his emotional state. You know, there's mm-hmm. poetic parts of, of storytelling that don't have to be like, this provides you with a story element. It just provides you with a feel of it, you know, to make it more like life or, you know, to make it more like a real story. And it, and it adds like different things. Like I, I, one note about the world building about how it echoes. 
Um, keep in mind that the Republic became the Empire. The senators of the Republic, like Mon Mothma, suddenly became imperial senators like Mon Mothma and Bail Organa. And, but by, by showing this whole crash site and everything, it shows the shadiness of the Republic because Marva 100% believes the Republic, who are supposed to be the good guys, would murder an entire village of children over one crash ship. Right. Right. That because is... they're talking they're they're talking about the like it's well, it would be like, you know, somebody in a Central American village going, Look, if we don't do this, you know, the CIA could come in here and wipe us out and you know and uh, you you it know the United that, States the... are supposedly the good guys, but you have parts of them that are working, you know, in in this case, you know, there's parts of the Republican public that Palpatine's already got going, you know, to probably to set up, you know, all his contingencies in the future. He's already setting up, you know, his cloning. It's like the, the, the Zillow Beast episode of the Bad Batch, you know, that town was in the wrong place and they all got taken to never be seen again because they happened to see the Zillow Beast. Yep. 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 They don't even know why they, they, there's probably nothing that would, would, um, cause any problems about it. Nobody would know. It would just be a weird anomalous ex- thing that happened there. Not as anomalous if, as, as if it happened here, because we're in the star Wars universe where a giant creature running around is like, Oh, okay. A creature got loose and ran around. <laughs> it's time it's for Kaiser week. Su- yes. We guess we fixed stuff up when they took it away. I don't know what was up with that, but you know, but the cloning thing is so secretive that it's just like, yeah, we're not even going to risk the point oh one percent chance that somebody puts something together down the line somewhere. Yep, just... that just reminded me. There's a really great joke in the first season of Digimon, and um, Digimon uh, is you know a, a different show from Pokemon, but like at one point, um, two of the big creatures are like fighting and this guy just walks by and comes up to another guy in the bus stop. And they look at the monsters and they're just like, Oh, Japan. And then they yeah, call yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best jokes. It's like theory. seeing a rat in New York city. Like anyway, <laughs> but it's like that. Yeah. Like Star Wars monsters are just normal, but yeah, like that's what it reminds me of. And from a character perspective, I love this because, like, for Mar, mostly for Marva, because all the heroes, and we talked about this a lot in episode one about how all of the good guys are very, very gray, flawed characters, and Marva up to this point has been like the benevolent mother uh, to Cassian, but then we see in this flashback that she abducts this child from his home and separates him from his sister and adopts him and changes his name, changes his planet of origin. And yes, she does that to protect him, but it's not a good look from Marva because she doesn't give Cassian the choice. I'm sure if they could communicate, he probably would have gone back to his sister to die with them. If they are even dead, I don't think they're dead. I think Marva overreacted. Um, I think the people of Canari, the kids on Canari, are alive, or at least the sisters. Well, I think Marva wanted wanted a son. <laughs> but I do think, in her mind, she honestly believed the Republic would have killed him. 
because like no questions asked. So she was she doing ta- yeah. Oh no, she fine. talked her she talked herself into it, you know. But the even, thing is, even Clem was like, Clem was like, he has people. <laughs> what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. <laughs> but then he saw like yeah. But she was just like no, no. I you know she wanted that. She wanted that. But I mean. It turned out, I mean, Cassian definitely, like, took to, to both of them, you know, so. What choice did he have? Yeah, yeah. Like, what choice was did he have? Like, they could have been like, all right, you want to go home? Okay, well, everyone's dead. <laughs> you know, like, what, what real choice did they give him? You know, and, and that's that's kind of like the great area I really like about Marva's character is like she's really no different from people who like go to other countries and take children to put them on the adoption market. Only we, she well, gets we, it. We, we also know so, we know so little that we don't know that maybe they didn't like go back a month later. You know, they might have gone back a month later, you know, when they figured the air cleared there and the, the ship was all towed off and stuff and then they went there and everybody was gone you know who knows we don't know yet you know that's true that's that is so valid that when it comes to stories like this we don't have all the information we don't know we never had him you know he doesn't seem to harbor any anger towards towards them for for like separating him from his sister you know and and there it doesn't seem to be a spot of contention to them so maybe you know Maybe they they did go back. Who knows? We don't yeah. know. Um, I am going to come back to my last flashback note because it ties into the final scene. So I'll come back to that note when we get to the end. Oh, my God. I want to talk about Brasso. Brasso. Brasso is great. I love Brasso. <laughs> and he is so fascinating in this episode to me. Um, this episode is like his first steps into personal rebellion. But. This episode is also why he, to me, is like the very embodiment of the people who make up the rebellion, because he reminds me of the line from Star Wars Rebels that Yoda says to Ezra, which is, it's not about whether or not you fight, but it's how you choose to fight, because the whole point is not to lose your soul. And they kind of echo this in The Last Jedi when Rose tells Finn, it's not about fighting what you hate, but protecting what you love. Those are the people who make up the rebellion, and like that is Brasso Ed at his very core. Because I don't know. If, I oh, took Brasso's. I took his tears as. Uh, no, I don't. I I really don't think. I think Brasso, the the kind of character Brasso is, he doesn't. He's 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 okay with killing that son of a bitch. As a matter of fact, he might have a tip a drink to to, yeah, one one more one of those. One of those bastards is gone. I think he's. I think he's shedding a tear because he knows that, like, you know, a line has been crossed now, and it would pro- and probably it was a line that everybody that like him, because he's 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 on the down low, and he's like he does he you know he all he ta- it takes with and there's probably a lot of brassos around there. All it takes is a look. They know what's going on. He and Cassian don't bullshit about anything. If Cassian's like, I'm in trouble, he's like, okay, what's going on? He's going to deal with it because they're sort of on the same page, you know? And and like when Brasso sees, he notes what's happening. He just keeps going on with his work. He doesn't go like, hey, dude, I'm going to tie up that guy's shit. He just does it, you know? He just does it, fuck it, because he knows if he just does it, there's nobody else to, you know, He's he's compartmentalized. He's 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 put some thought into it 
and he knows now the shit's gonna hit the fan. You know, it's not it's not just uh, it's not just everybody with a nod and a wink. Now there's actions being taken, and he's taken an action, and and people are gonna pay for it. We're, we see the beginning of Bix is like the smartest character. Like besides like maybe Luthen, she's super super smart and super like perceptive. Like she. There wasn't a second between say, between when it, he's like he's like, you know, says something. And she's like, "How do you know that you did? You know, did I ever tell you that he was Canarian?" He's like, "I don't know." And she's like, "I did. You know, I remember. You know." And she puts it all together, and she does not. She, you know, she she Bing Bing Bing. She's got it like a detective. Fuck you. And and the sad part is is her brain is just, starts getting wrecked in this she just gets traumatized in this episode and it's only the beginning and it's just like attacks on her brain you know I just watched um, over the weekend the episode where she's captured by Detra and the beginning of her other side of her trauma uh, traumatization so but I will say because I just watched this was episode eight the first of the prison arc. Versus this episode, the one that thing like Bix is smart, but she also has a bad tendency of turning the wrong way and running into soldiers because <laughs> both times that's yeah, how she, she gets caught. Yeah, she had bad luck. <laughs> smart, yeah. but bad luck. Yeah, that's that's her. Cassian, not, not always smart, but more like a sly animal, foxy smart, but also with with not always good luck, but a lot better luck. <laughs> when he now, has bad luck, it's very bad though. I will say about Brasso, your explanation of what your side of things hit actually the majority of my notes, except for one point that I do disagree with you. But everything else is right. That I, I not right. Everything else I agree with you. And it's right because we said so. <laughs> just, it's our as podcast. Uh, just as you said, you did. That you have one point that I don't. That one point where you go, I, the one point that I don't disagree with you, my cat whapped me in the face. <laughs> right in Thank the glasses. You. Thank you, Miss Bernice. Hit him again. Um, I agree with everything you said about how that he knows that his actions is going to hurt other people. I agree with all that. The one thing I do disagree with is I don't think he takes pleasure in killing the corpo. I think that weighs on him. Um, and I don't think he takes that action lightly, but he does put Ferrix first. He's there to protect Cassian, he's there to protect Marva, and he's there to protect Ferex. And I don't, that that is the only place that I disagree with you, because I think that it weighs on him, because Brasso is a character who I think is kind, very kind and very empathetic, but he does what he needs to be done. And he is that kind of character. So... Um, versus, you know, at the end, though, because this is the shit hitting the fan, I do think this is his transformation to being the man who smacks a fascist with Marva's brick. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah. I don't I don't think he's at that place yet. I think he's still he's, a, he's still being he's being subversive instead yeah. of outright rebellious, which is all you can be at this point, you know. But I, I do think it is a gradual climb. I I yeah. don't know if. Actually, no, I disagree with myself. Never mind. I'm not going to finish that point. <laughs> oh. okay. I, But I, I do think that in the right situation, the Brasso who smacks the fascist with Marvis Brick is still this Brasso. But I do think the circumstances are different. 
Um, and I think that is always in him. And I don't, and I think at the end of the day, it's not something he wants to do. I don't think he takes it lightly. And I think these are choices that he knows he has to live with and actions and repercussions. Um, but I don't think he takes any pleasure in tipping his drink about killing the Corpo. That, that is where I disagree with you, but everything else. Yeah. 100%. He does totally in my head. I like it better that way in my head. That's, That's fine. fine. Um, I would. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast cannot be used to indict Chris if he ever murders anybody. <laughs> I, would, I would do that in Star Wars world. That's going to be my version of I would do that in Minecraft. Um. So about Tim, and this is about the scene where Salmon and Bix realize that Tim ratted Cassian out. I have a note about Tim. Why do you do that first? I just don't think t- people named Tim usually live long in stories. <laughs> there's not really many. There's not really many important characters ca- or characters that that make it through the whole thing that are named Tim. It's just not a. The only one I can think of name. is Tim, the Toolman Taylor from Home Improvement. Yeah, that's a comedy sitcom, not that's not true. an action adventure story. If your name is Tim, it's just Tiny not... Tim lives. God yeah. bless us, everyone. Yeah, that's true. But he's also but he's also fucked up, so <laughs> he gets better because of uh Mr. Scrooge's patronage. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. But like, yeah, a character seen, uh, in Star Chris, Wars, in, a character in Star Wars named Tim, I just expect him to go. It's just like, oh, Tim. Whether, everyone, whether... Is, everyone sends Chris a list of Tims and drama shows that live. I want to see your list. Go on. No, that's all. That's all. That was all my note. Yeah. So I got to thinking. I don't think Tim is originally from Ferrix, because. Looking at the kind of like context around it, like, yeah, he's part of the community now, like he's betting on the races and he's friends with everybody, but it doesn't seem like he fully fits in. Like, yeah, because he know, doesn't know to rat out some <laughs> what he and, and, doesn't and know whose side he's on. Like Salmon, uh, Salmon Pack immediately goes to Bix and they both clearly know that Cassian is from Canari and they were both protecting that that part of him. And so this is very understandably a secret around people in the know. And Bix admits that she did tell Tim, but it seems to indicate that he came to Ferrix and Bix didn't trust him right away and didn't tell him until that trust was earned. So it does make me think that Tim is not from here. It's, yeah, it's it's very possible. Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's talk about the scene with Luthen and Cassian, like that really long back and forth scene. Because I have a bunch of like different thoughts about it. So why don't, why don't you start on that whole back? And I mean, forth. it's classic. It's classic recruiting. It's he's he's, you know, that scene is is you know, is 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 wonderfully written because Luthen is really a recruiter. He's not there for the box. The, the, he's been working on. He's been working on Cassian for something down the line more for somebody with that psychological profile. You know, he's puppet mastering this. I wrote Luthen is a master. This is a recruitment mission and it's become an even more desperate recruitment mission because he can't just like be this like if 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 Cassian wasn't wanted by wanted a wanted man, he could just be like, hey, look, man, you know. Here's your money. You know, he go. could play. He could maybe just plant a couple seeds, and 
and keep checking him out. But now he's got a like it's it's uh it's a recruitment situation and it's got a, a bit of you know urgency to it now because it's a situation where it's like go or don't go, you know, and Cassian's obviously gotta get off the planet. And, and also wants- Cassian has seen his face now. If Cassian didn't go with him, we if know he, later yeah. that he probably if he wants to use him. And also if he wants to use him, he better take him now because he might not be able to get him after this, you know, because mm-hmm. he might not, he might get caught or whatever. He flat out so- says, uh, are you going to flee? <laughs> and because Cassian goes, uh, you know where I live. And Cass and Luthen says something on the lines like, "Are you gonna stay?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Are, are you gonna live here gonna when run. I come back? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Luthen is already, you know, Luthen. Luthen already has a whole chain of answers for every question prepared, and has a uh, has, you know, Cassian's Cassian's beginning in middle end as meet the guy, get the money, and get the hell out of here. You know, use it for for you know, money to, to, to flee. Um, you know, whereas, whereas Luthen's motivations are, I'm recruiting this guy. So, and it's, it's just, it's just so well plotted out for, for tension, you know, and to build to that point. And that's where this is, this is the episode where I realized what this show is going to be that you had to, you had you had to wait. There had to be a a a, a build up to to any kind of you know action or resolution in it. You know the the every that you know the house of cards had to, has to be laid out, and then once it's laid out, boom! It all you know all the elements are at play, and that's that one scene is, and it's and it's got all the symbolism of stuff hanging. You know, there's things hanging over their head, <laughs> you know, and that's and, such a I, I didn't go into it that much. But like, that is such a good fight scene with like yeah. the like the wear like the swinging weights. And uh, when the fight does break out, I love the lack of music. Like, you know, we'll talk a lot about the music of this show, but I love when this series also lets it just be the sound of the battle and there's no music. And I love when Star Wars does that in general, like they do it every once in a while in animation. But when they do do it, I love that extra emphasis of like no like dun 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 like music behind it. I love that fight in the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like it a lot. A lot. It's a lot better the second time because the physics of it, you can pay attention to them more, and it makes more sense. Like it isn't just like oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had things that fell from the ceiling or something? It has a sort of symbolic meaning. And when the physics of it go, it really makes sense. And it's really lethal, you know, and it's lethal in a not in, in, in it, it, you know, it, it this could pl- take place in a warehouse in a, in a car place in America. And somebody has an Uzi and shoots down the chains and the stuff starts falling. It has just a very, you know, tangible in the real world lethality to it. And and it's also shot in a way that is very um you can you know very plotted out to where you feel it you know it's yeah. not just stuff flying around and fast camera angles and smoke and when, laser blasts when that it's chain very gets thought the, out when that chain gets the corporal guy's leg and he gets dragged across the floor oh you feel well that, that could 
well, that could have been a lot more like they could have played it up a lot more dramatically, but they played it realistically. And yeah, you the guy's getting scraped against the pavement at the bottom of it. I think it, the realistic know. sells it to make it more dramatic. There isn't like, a big there's not, like a Wil- there's not like a Wilhelm scream thrown in like ah! no, or, or a big thong where he hits something and you know he's dead. It's just like he's just great. And, you know, he got like hit really you know hard against cement and metal. And that's all, you know. Yeah, it's just it's it's very, very nicely done. And it, and all the elements leading up to it make sense, you know and feel organic you know where you know what the corpos are doing you know what they're doing and when they come to and when they meet together there's real excitement to it because it's built up to that and you are you are now invested enough in all the characters to where it's all you know meaningful and you know it's great it's great so um, I also like just like some like the little lines like I love and this was a trailer line so it was a line that everybody like knew going into the series was talking about how the empire just would never really like even are so smug and full of power that they can't even fathom that somebody would like put on a suit and just like walk into their house because they have so much hubris. Yeah. And so like I, I like that scene because it does show like the cracks of why the empire eventually falls. And something we were talking about in episode one is Cassian is not the expert spy at this moment that he was in Rogue One. And I like seeing that he's learning and like Luthen has those moments of like, lesson number one, no fucking comms. Lesson number two, make an exit. (laughs) Yeah, but then Luthen gets a Luthen gets a a lesson, too. And and that's the thing is Luthen's like, I'll pay you a thousand credits for it. And. Luthen that knows. That's always so funny of just like Luthen has this great spy network and he's just like, I never thought of just putting on an Imperial uniform and walking inside. <laughs> okay. He, he, <laughs> he is smart enough to know that like this person has, I can get something valuable f- from him. He, he has a feeling that he, you know, that thousand credits is nothing to him. And, <clears throat> but at the same time, he's get, he, like, he's just given Cassian something. Cassian's actually given him something because you can see him absorbing it and going like, hmm, you know, cause it's not just like a technique. It's like almost like a philosophy, you know? Yeah. And that's, I have used that not against the empire, but I've used that philosophy to get play, get into places to, you know, to do things that I wasn't supposed to do by looking like I was supposed to be doing it and just doing it, you know? I, and I used to have a coworker who would do that because she could speak fluent Romanian and uh-huh. she would just walk backstage in areas of concerts to get backstage. And when people try to stop her, she would just start acting confused and talking in Romanian and act like she didn't know where she was and she didn't get in trouble, but she actually got pretty far places. I don't condone this. Uh, that's you she could have she could have carried a like just a simple folder with some paper in it and stuff and an ID tag and been talking in R- Romanian and like said stuff like in Romanian, like, look, I'm supposed to see Mr. Blah, blah, blah 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 and start pulling over open the thing and showing the people and they'd be just like yeah yeah go ahead go ahead whatever you know (laughs) it's yeah 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 but um so 
I want to talk a little bit about like Luthen and his relationship to Cassian because I do find it so interesting all season that he goes back and forth on whether or not to like keep him or kill him. And I just rewatched episode eight with my stepmom on Sunday. And this would be, this was the first episode of the prison arc. And Luthen is having this conversation with Clea, his assistant. And, and she's like, you're the one that brought him into this. He needs to die. And like, he seems almost like remorseful over that fact. And he's like wanting to hold on to trying to find Cassian while she's the one that's like, let's put him into this. And he's like, no, we need to find him. And like, she's the one that shuts him down, which I will get so much more into because I think Clea is the real axis. That's my tinfoil hat theory. We'll get to that when we get to Clea, put a pin in it. But he's so interesting because next week you know in this episode like he's really intrigued by Cassian he clearly knows him he knows his background he doesn't want to kill him in a later episode but then next week when we meet Vel he tells Vel that if Cassian becomes a problem that Cassian is expendable and to kill him and it's so fascinating because it's clear that he sees something in Cassian he sees something special in Cassian but and he, and he says so as much in this episode because he says he co- he's here looking for more than just a star path unit. As you said, he's looking to recruit. But I like that he is, doesn't get attached to Cassian fully. This well, is a well, war. Well, <laughs> and it's understandable that Luthen doesn't want to... We'll, we'll huh? get a lot more insight into that when he meets Saw Gerrera, you know. Yep. And so this is a war and it's understandable that Luthen doesn't want to get too attached to Cassian. And so I, I do find it intriguing that he knows that Cassian can be something, but he doesn't want to get too close to Cassian because of that. Now, and, and, and because he okay. knows he might have he might have to get rid of him. It, mm-hmm. it's a, he he likes Cassian, and he obviously thinks he's going to be a very important part of the rebellion. He but is at the right. same time, he's, <laughs> he's on. His he's always going to be on the mission. The mission is more important than any of them, including him, you know, and, and he's very important to protect. But there'd be a certain point where probably he would be like, well, you know, if this goes this way, it might be the end of Luthen, you know, mm-hmm. and so be it, you know. And that's actually so. um, in the episode that I was watching, like, that's what like Clay is pointing out, like he's a loose end, like. You, you're getting way too soft about this guy. And, and then ca- that's when um, Luthen is like, let's shut down Ferrix. Like, you're right. I, I'm getting too close. So I think it's really interesting that he's trying not to get attached to Cassian. Because something I want to talk about up until, I think it's episode 9 or 10. Um, where, put a pen in it. Because he has that big speech to Lonnie about, like, what has he sacrificed everything. And he has that really great speech that Stellan Skarsgård gives, because Stellan Skarsgård is an amazing actor. Um, but there's a really prominent theory that Luthen might be a Jedi in hiding. And if, if he is a Je- was originally a Jedi, then he's very familiar of not being attached to people and fighting for bigger things and not having attachments. And I think that's, I just want to n- note it here. And also his retractable cane looks an awful lot like a lightsaber hilt. And he doesn't just have it on Ferrix. He also has the same cane with him when he sees Saul Guerrero. And it, it is something that he keeps on him, this retractable cr- cane. And it does look like a lightsaber hilt. Um, so I just wanted to note that that it is a theory and I'm kind of leaning more into it and I'm going to note it as we go. 
But that that kind of reminded me of like him just being like, yeah, I'm really interested in you helping me, but I'm also not going to get super attached to you because I was trained my entire life not to be attached to people. Cool. <laughs> I want to talk about the the reckoning metal percussion segment. <laughs> I love that it's actually part of the score that Nicholas Bertel made sure the actors knew it was part of the score and he taught them the musical beats as acting and so they're like acting out the music as well and i just i love that about andor um those are probably probably a lot of those people are drummers i don't i I don't know i mean are the actors like the that play the pax or nurchie or zanwin I mean, that might have been been part of when they were casting people for Ferrick, say, do you have any musical, you know, talent so that they could, you know, throw together a band or, you know, or or they knew they were going to be incorporating it. So because like if you tell somebody plop out this beat on the on that, you know, a drummer will just go there and go dun 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 You just give them two numbers, you know, and they can. Mm-hmm. Do it, or, or a piece of a little, a little piece of sheet music, or something like that. Or you could just tell them go dun 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 dun, dun would work also. But like with drummers, it would be like a less step in between. And they sort of played it like drummers. They they sort of the way that they hit hit it. They were hitting it with sticks, and they hit it with sticks like professional like drummers would, like midway up the stick and and stuff like that. So. I like I like the fact I like the fact that like you know Ferrick talks to itself you know yeah. if you don't belong at Ferrick Ferrick is talking to itself and you don't know what it's saying but you know it's talking to itself. This is kind is of there, like an I I yeah like I sort of have two notes about this because I love that everyone on Ferrick's knows what it means. They move. They drop everything and they mm-hmm. move. When we see the scrappers and they hear that sound, they drop everything and they go. They know There's, what it and, means. And this and in film history you've got this the the trope with um Native Americans with in like Central American tribes with African tribes in the movie where the war drums start. You're around the fire and then the drums start going. They're talking to each other. You don't know what they're doing, but they're talking. All you know is they're talking. You just hear somebody, you know, <laughs> the gig's on, you know. Yes. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> cats out of the bag. The space cats out of the bag. The loft cats out of the bag. But we also like know that from um, like war as well. Like uh, I know, like in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, like the drummers, like different drums, drum beats meant different yep. things. Like for the cavalry yep. and for the pace and everything. Yep. So like, like yeah, yeah, like like football, football, you know, plays and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Uh, you know, there were code talkers who spoke in sign language, you know, Native Americans who spoke in sign language so they could silently do things, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I, and, and as you said, like, it's very clear that people who are not from Ferrix don't know what it is because the corpus, corpus just blow it off as like an intimidation tactic. But as Marva says, no, it's, well, we're telling you it's a reckoning. I have a note on that where he goes, what is this? And he goes, intimidation. 
And I was just like, this is typical fascist fucking victimization, too. They're trying to intimidate us. Sir. You're the intimidators. <laughs> it, this is react, you know, reaction to your intimidation. This is this is this is literally reaction. But he's just like, and it also shows that they're scared of them. That that mm-hmm. in their hearts, uh, even though they they have all the power, they're scared of them. Which because is a nice. You can. Oh, go ahead. You can. You can. You can catch and interpret and trace, like Bix on her, you know, sending a transmission and stuff like that. But this you can't do. There's nothing you can do about that, you know. This is out of, you know, out of your imperial. You can't you, you can't hold up a, a droid and have them translate those drums. That's something the people in the planet know and and yeah. So much communicated in in that I love the show. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it actually echoes without uh, spelling it out, without a character, without a character, you know, in a lesser written show would have somebody say that the drums, they're the, you know, Marva sort of says it, but she says it in just a very poetic way, like somebody would there, just like, oh, that's the sound of reckoning. She's just using it to fuck with their heads. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's glorious. And in a lesser show, somebody would have been like, ah, you know, Ferrix is like what I just said. They would have spelled it out, you know. And uh, I love that the show doesn't shows and not doesn't tell. But it, like um, something that it is num, 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 words. Um, it does get a kind of like callback as you were saying um, how you're saying like how the corpos kind of like crumble like the moment that they, cause they don't understand it and they kind of start becoming more and more frazzled. It actually reminded me of a line later that Cassian tells Kino Lloyd, Andy Serkis's character, and he tells Kino, power doesn't panic. They right. don't have power because they're panicking. They yeah. see that they don't really have power. These mall cops are really realizing that they are mall cops. The, and their, their power is... is on a hanging by a thread at all times yeah and it's it's really interesting because like cyril god bless him not really fuck him (laughs) sorry (laughs) bless his pointy little head um he is trying so hard to play big boy leader guy but it's so if you watch him he's constantly looking at mosque going linus what do i do and like linus even like starts strong like he's clearly commanded he's clearly done this before but even then he starts kind of about the time that he says shit he starts getting more frazzled because he doesn't know how many people are attacking them and even in like if they really did have power he still they... doesn't lose his shit though he's still like when at the end when when Cyril's just standing there staring at the burning mm-hmm. thing Linus is like grabbing his compatriots at least and like helping you know bringing them all over in a pile and calling in help for them and stuff and dealing with the situation while Cyril's just like it's almost (laughs) as if what we've been talking for the last two episodes that linus is a part of the community that is the corpos and he looks out for his men while cyril does not know how to play with others no no (laughs) Um, but he doesn't he doesn't really know how to like have any kind of compassion for any of those people they're he they're just falling over tin soldiers for you know army men for him whereas He's more upset Whereas that Cassian Linus is, got Linus away. is just like feeling the pain, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And Cyril's more upset that Cassian got away than his own men got attacked. But he's he's more assumed that yeah he's even more mad that he got that 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 it, it, it turned into egg in his face. You know, not only did Cassian get away, but he had a moment with Cassian. Cassian doesn't know that this is a guy that's pursuing him. He's just mm. another corpo to Cassian. And and at first I was like, why doesn't he just shoot him? You know, once they the get plot. They, 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 <laughs> no, I think I think I do have a lot. The, the, the other guys he shot in a moment of of like panic. And this time he thinks about it and thinks, well, if we just execute a corpo, that's even more. That's going to be even more, you know, um, um, people on my ass. And the guy didn't see me, although, you know, he knows what it but but Cyril knew what was going on. There was Cassian Cassian and he just humiliated him. I have an even more logical answer for you. If you would have shot Cyril, it would have given away their position. That too. That too. They could have they could have they could (laughs) have. crushed his head <laughs> they ca- like I, I i mean that's really gross and rude but like that's sort of like the world we're in right now too but i i think i think they were just like ah, if we you know the more people we kill the more attention it's gonna grab we got what we needed out of them i like how they so seamlessly work together though where you know you know cassian's like i don't want to kill you and I'm thinking to myself, but then, then when, when, um, you know, um, um, what's his name steps up, uh, Lucian steps up, uh, Luke, Luke, Lucian steps up and is like, um, I'll kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he starts spilling the beans. But I don't, I think that was, I think that was them naturally, you know, playing C- Cyril's weakness and, and, you know, doing a little good cop, just a little good cop, bad cop on the fly. You know, they work well together. And actually Cyril helped in the ruse because all he knew is they got a speeder and he sent the corpos after the wrong speeder. Yeah. Yeah. But um, kind of to touch back and forth between these two scenes, I do like that, um, that the corpos are so clearly bullies who don't really know how to wield real power and hold it because they crumble under the slightest resistance. And it's even like certain like little things like, the yeah, corpos, they rely on just the, the empire's reputation to keep them safe. Really? Yeah. Like the corpo who shoots Tim, he's a young man and power doesn't panic. He panics and shoots Tim and they have a shot looking at his face and he takes off his hat. He's clearly shooken. That was probably yeah. the first man he's ever killed. Actually yeah. killed. And, and, and he, and he's probably thinking to himself, Oh shit, I just killed that guy without really thinking about it. Did I really need to kill that guy? You know, cause to them really, they're just hassling a random woman. She, they don't, you know, they just happened to, she was just running in a way that it was very convenient for them to say, Hey, stop, you know, and and grab her and they were trying to get what they can and and stuff and it just and it and it went too far but fucked him anyway um basically <laughs> don't have a lot of i don't have a lot of sympathy for snitches um but uh he got space stitches in this one but uh marva points out that the corpos are clearly nervous at the sound of the reckoning 
And oh, yeah. it reminded me of what Mosk was saying last week to Cyril. It, when because when Mosk when Linus and Mosk Linus and Cyril first meet last week, you know, Linus goes on that big like speech about how like, oh, the corpos are corrupt and they're losing their grip and nobody knows how like what how to do justice and order anymore. So Barva can see that the corpos are crumbling. The corpos can see that the corpos are crumbling. And so the corpos have a right to be nervous because this is really the first steps of the Empire losing power. They are on the fringes of it. And it's kind of like what we're seeing right now in The Mandalorian. You know, the Outer Rim, the New Republic is starting to lose the Outer Rim to the First Order. Because... We're, we're seeing why the Death Star needs to be built. Yeah. Because we... They can't hold power everywhere. And they, if, they are, if they're they are losing there. it at the fringes, they're going to lose it every step of the way. Because eventually it's going to get to Palpatine. They are there... They are there just long enough to hold it together just long enough to get the Death Star built. Because there's going to be rebellion and you know, the a galaxy is humongous. There's n- no way that you can afford to build a force that can go in and just in like through brute force enforce its will upon the galaxy it has to do it through fear it has it or or fear or you know like a democracy (laughs) and uh and like the last democracy was formed over thousands of years into a semi-functional although you know of course it gathered its corrupt you know it, it got its trouble with age or whatever but yeah, but like the the empire and the new republic are new and the empire has the basic power structure of that old democracy, but they don't want a democracy, so they're shutting it down. So they just have this like this is this like time period where it's a race against time with both people and if you and if you can't keep deaths if you can't keep death stars in order, you're done with in the galaxy, you know, cuz you can be turned over one planet you know one planet at a time you know so yeah yeah they're they're desperate but at the same time everybody's in this weird thing where the empire's trying to keep it as close to life as normal as possible but you can't help but have things like ferrix happen and uh yeah this is just uh, it's really turning into this like beautiful story point of like you know, the Death Star just looms in the distance of everything in all of this, you know. So, so it's actually um, interesting because I just wrote this week for work about quotes from Rogue, Rogue One. And I, in the opening scene of Rogue One, when it's director Krennic talking to Galen Erso, Jen's dad, Krennic says, we are on the verge of greatness being the Death Star. Uh, We're this close to providing peace and security for the galaxy. And Galen rebuttals saying, you're confusing peace with terror. And Krennic says, well, you have to start somewhere. And this like really fits into that because like, you're right. All they're doing is like, once they get the Death Star, they really do feel I think that that's how they're going to keep the galaxy in order. And of course it just makes it worse. It's the only way they can do it. It's the only way they can wield enough power to keep a whole galaxy in order. You can wield, you can wield enough power on a planet to keep the planet in order, 
but you can only you can only install that much force in so many planets. So if you do that, then all the other planets will just be it will be gone to you. So it's you know it's like you know I mean maybe over a thousand years Palpatine could build up enough of of military for but I uh, you know maybe there's probably just not enough physical ref- resources in a galaxy to to do that and uh yeah so yeah that's the only thing they can do is have the power to wear like hey you know <laughs> empire's cooler and so and something but if you fuck around enough your planet's gonna go away and that would that that would cool things down a little bit you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that would definitely uh put a chill on things um and to touch back on the serial Cassian Luthen scene, I just love that so far in the show, this is the only time that Cassian and Cyril are in the same place. <laughs> and the, they are the reason both of their stories play out the way they do. They are the catalyst for each other. And yet this is the only time that they're in the same room. And I just find that really fascinating that they are such big. And like It's more for Cyril because Cyril's the one that's just like... <laughs> Cassian Andor, I must get him. And meanwhile, Cassian's like, I don't fucking know who you are, but you're the reason I'm in jail. Yeah, <laughs> no, know? a successful rebellion or any kind of subversive or underground thing has to be so super, you know, compartmentalized and need to know or else, you know, you're just, it's, you're, you're gonna, your information is going to get out. You know, the more compartmentalized you keep it, the less chance there is of the enemy ever finding out what you're up to. But even that, like on a more simple basis, like Cyril knows who Cassian is and he is obsessed with it. Cassian, on the other hand, is just like, I don't know why any of this happened. I don't know who ratted me out. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know that I'm in the same room as the guy who is hunting me. And now I'm in jail. (laughs) Because Cyril is a creepy fascist, you know, like guy, he's got that psychology. So Cassian, it just is a way for him to, you know, play out his pathology, (laughs) you know, that you need, it's a focus. He, he needs a focus to, to focus his inner anger and sliminess on. And and to have as a scapegoat of, you know, especially since when he started, like, focusing on Cassian, that's when, like, his career started going downhill. So now he's got a scapegoat for his career and why he's not pleasing his mother and why he feels like he has eight million spiders living inside his body all the time and (laughs) why there's a gerbil in his head and it has a little, it has one of those, little and like he, gerbil his, running wheels in it and it just his, runs and runs and runs in circles but sometimes it stops and just goes don't forget about his big jizz ragtime napkin yeah you know it's and and like and then there's this wonderful woman that will also like so if he you know he's got they've set these you know they set these like weird fixating things to go on like if i if i can you know capture my my alter ego and enemy who he's blowing up in his mind i will get my dream girl who will realize how wonderful i am and how we're the same and we're the same 
you know, it's just that total. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. But and meanwhile, like Cassie is just like I don't know who you are. Surface. All <laughs> under the surface. Yeah, he's just and Cassie is just up. like who the fuck are you? Yeah, here's just this guy. Uh, all right, I'm gonna like, punk him and then and get out of here and right? and 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 that's and that's Cyril. He's 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 impotent. You know, it's impotence, <clears throat> and that's and that that insecurity and impotence is what lies at the bottom of his of what's motivating him. You know, he's that's what he's motivated by by just the most pathetic motivations ever. You know. Literally, like those motivations are his pathetic qualities inside of him. I, I, I love it because I love it because I love seeing characters like that. Just their their lives are endless self-imposed and self-inflicted misery, and I love seeing it slathered on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you were talking, I, w- I was reminded of one of my favorite Darth Vader jokes. And uh, it, it's in the comics. And I think it might have been a time where, like, Luke came face to face with Vader. And this was before they, like, knew each other, who, who each other were. And Luke goes, you killed my father. And Vader goes, I've killed a lot of fathers. You have to be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> What was your father's name again? I know, right? But that, that's kind of the situation where Cyril's like, "You ruined my life," and Cassian would be like, "I literally don't know." Do who I know you? Are. you? Yeah. Do, <laughs> do I, I know, know you? Do I know you? But I, just, uh, I find that just so fascinating that at this time in the story, like this is their only meeting, but they affect each other so much. I just find that really fascinating. Um, something just I wanted to note right fast. This is probably like my third to fourth time watching the series um and i never really noticed before how central the packs are to the bigger story um salmon is the means of bix calling luthan and they're the one who start the reckoning warning and i didn't i didn't really like notice the packs that much until like probably this viewing and like watching it with my stepmom as well because they are so central to so much of what's happening on ferrix they are clearly close with cassian bix and brasso and then later on, when Salmon is killed, like that's why Wilman turns and is and escalates the fight in the family. And I, I just, I don't know. I just wanted to note that they are very subtle characters that are incredibly vital to the story. And I find that really fascinating that I just like whiffed on them. And I'm sure a lot of people have whiffed on them as well. But I just, I like that storytelling because they should, the people of Ferrix should be unassuming until shit hits the fan. And right, that's exactly right. what the packs are. So I I just wanted to note that that I I like them, and yep. um, it's, this is it's it's there's a confidence in the writing and the direction of this where they don't have to sp- spell everything out to the point where you know it takes away from the realism. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's respect for the the viewer. Yeah, like I always knew the packs were there, but like this, like what rewatching it with my stepmom and watching it now, I'm like, and like I'm looking much more closely at it. And I was just like, man, they're in the show a lot more than I thought. Pick, picking it up Dang. on the second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in there. You might not catch it the first time. Yeah, what I've been watching with my stepmom has been my third time. And so far until I catch up with that, it's my fourth time now. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. 
Um, and finally, kind of like the last note that ties into the, like the final scene. I love the cut between Marva crying in the present versus her carrying Cassa away in the past. Because in the present, she knows that this is going to be goodbye to Cassian for a while, and she might not see him again. And it's just interwoven with her starting her life with him. And I just, like, really, I really like how the flashbacks are handled in the series. I think they're executed very well, and they're thematically timed really well as two. And to go back to the flashback of cutting between Casa leaving Canari and uh, versus Cassian leaving with Luthen... Um, I like that that kind of parallel of those two scenes because up to this point, like Cassian's life has sort of like I can't okay, let me rephrase this major things in Cassian's life, like major life changing events, has been de- like determined by other people. Marva and Clem set him on one path by taking him from Canari. Luthen is setting him on another path by taking him from Ferrix. And so I like how the series is now showing how Cassian learns to pick his path probably for the first time ever to join the well, rebellion, which is where he gets in the last episode of the season. Well, they, they, they tie them. They, they, they tie those two incidents together with a scene that's si- similar of Cassian looking out towards, you know, the sun or a light source blasting in, towards him which is basically the end of rogue one so it's vi- bo- all, oh like, i never noticed that oh my oh God. yeah all the all the all oh. the important scenes of oh. there's and there's one other wh- where after he gets out of prison it, it, he's there's a lot like the, the 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 important transitional moments of cassian are almost all marked by him looking out towards a light source or in one case looking out over at the sun setting over a water source but like those points like points of important you know here's an important spot in cassia you know a, a right of know. passage well, are yeah. all it and until he has the final rite of passage which is looking out over the water at the sun and then light coming at him so yeah, it's it's very it's it's very subtly done, but at the same, it's just yeah, it's very nice. It's very thematic, and if you have a character like this that has a beginning, middle, and end that you know, it's that's that's a nice thing to do to tie it all together that's without all doing without beating people over the head with a hammer about it. That's all I have for my notes. Do you have anything else? The only other note I have is. Um, especially this episode of Andor. Andor has the best wear and tear in Star Wars ever. Stuff is beat to shit on Ferrix, and it looks great when 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 um the shuttle lands. The doors on that shuttle have just like creases worn in them from dirt and sand, all just going in one direction. They are so everything there is so worn and and worn in a way that is indicative of its location you know it's not just let's just sandblast this and make it look fucked up that's worn in a like with some thought put into the how you know the use of everything and how it would be worn in that manner and i love that aspect of star wars and it's wonderful 
this. I did notice uh, something similar when Casa first gets onto the ship at the beginning of the episode. They have a shot of his feet as he's walking through, and what should be this clean ship has like dirt, like little sprinkles of dirt, as if like part of the ship broke and some earth got th- fl- thrown in there too. And I, because yeah. I, I, I had a moment, I was like, wow, the there's a floor is dirty for a spaceship. And then I, it hit me. I was like, Oh, they crashed on a planet. Fucking duck. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it was just such a little detail that they didn't have to do of just like, at some point the ship broke and some dirt got thrown on the floor inside the spaceship. And I, I just thought that was really cool. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So anything else? That's it. Well, Chris, we're pushing uh, late again. So score it up for me. Um, this is my favorite so far. I'm giving this a 9.5. It's it's just like almost flawless in execution. Same. I, I love the episode. I love the sound. The the release of the tension that's been building for two episodes. Like, and it sets up the rest of the season beautifully. I also gave it a 9.5 out of 10. So yeah, I was I was hanging on every moment of it till the end. It it, it flies by like it feels like it's 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, the Two True Freaks Facebook page, or now in our Two True Freaks Discord channel. Come hang out with us. Charles and Jean are conspiring against us, I have realized. Uh, Not against us, but they are conspiring together. And that's concerning, but I'm glad you guys are making friends, so have fun. This week, our feedback is from Twitter and Facebook for our Kenobi Part 1 episode. All right, and uh, we have a uh, comment by Buko who says, more like Mopey One Kenobi, am I right? Hope says, gosh, I've missed you. I have missed you, Bucho. I, I miss talking to you. I know I say that like every time you comment on something, but I love seeing you in the Discord, and I love hearing you talk on Twitter, and I boy, I've missed you. I'm just happy you're back. Or like... Sad trombone one Kenobi. <laughs> I think we made a similar joke in the episode, if I remember correctly, like Mopey one Kenobi or something like that. Um, no, I, Butcher just said that, so of course we didn't make that. But like yeah, we, we made we made a yeah. similar joke. No, I was just gonna say, don't try to claim his. <laughs> his it is, we have been on talking for three hours. Let's, don't let's put, let's put, I am let's tired. Put, let's put his good zinger on here and then claim it for our own. I don't see a copyright. <laughs> No, no. Um, I'll say trademark on there. And to set up the next one, um, at some point in the episode, we were talking about the new animated series, Young Jedi Adventures, um, which is where this comes from. So, And Diego Lemos said there will be a Yoda and Kids animated show, the High Republic one, and Hope said, I am so excited. I'm going to watch that preschool show like the adult woman I am. I'll be right there with you watching it as a 55-year-old man. There is actually, the reason I included this in is they dropped the first three shorts on YouTube. Um, and it's kind of introducing the characters. And it, on, one hit, on one point, it's really exciting because it is the first time the High Republic era is on screen. Um, as somebody who has watched all three shorts, it is, it is a preschool show. Um, and, or, uh, or a grade school show, I should say. It is a grade school show. It is a younger demographic. It is okay, cute so, it's, so it's not going to be like Teletubbies. No, no. It is a grade school show. And it's very well done uh, for being a grade school show. And I am enjoying it. And it's cute as hell. There's a character named Nubs. And he is excellent. 
Um, and what's also interesting is now that Tom Kane has retired, they have a new actor voicing Yoda. Um, and his name is Pierre. I'm gonna. I'm sorry if I butcher this. Peter. Uh, Peter Michael. And he does a really good Yoda. And he sounds so much like Tom Kane's Yoda. And I so I I feel really good. And so if you want to check out the we'll young, s- huh? We'll see what Yoda thinks of that. <laughs> uh, I will say it is an animated series, so Yoda looks like a fucking monster. <laughs> As, oh, he shit. Always as always, does. as always, <laughs> as he always does an animated series. But uh, the first episode All should right, be out so soon. They're on, they're on, uh, they're on, on plot. But I must say, I must say, uh, these three shorts in the second one, it has by far the cutest fucking loth cat. I oh, have I'll, ever I'll go seen. check it. I'm gonna go check it out now, of course. So it, it's a it's a nine I didn't minute. know it existed. It's a nine minute watch on Disney Junior YouTube channel. Um and it's very cute and it's sweet. It's the first time we're seeing the High Republic on what, screen. What's and it's the name of the show? Young Jedi Adventures. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it has the first three shorts and it's cute. I like it. I'm going to watch it. I don't know if we'll cover, once we see the actual episodes, because the episodes come out May 4th. Um, once I see a few episodes, I might determine whether or not we cover it on the show. But <laughs> because it is a great school show. It is a there very might not be a lot to talk about. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll watch it and I mean, we'll just do a show about the whole series. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be down for that because it's not like we covered. We'll, we'll watch the season of it and we'll do a show of the season of it. And you know what we haven't done? Um, a lot of the YouTube series, like Forces of Destiny, um, which, you know, there's an entire animated series that's free, and it's a series of shorts, and the shorts are like five minutes each, but they... Well, right, it's, it's going to be like 40 minutes worth of material at the end of it, so we could do it in a show, you know? Yes and no, because Forces of Destiny is so interesting because it covers everything. So you'll have like an episode about Ahsoka and then an episode about yeah. Kira and then an episode about Finn and Rey. <laughs> so it jumps around and that might be harder, but we I could see us doing like what we did with Visions and doing like three at a time. Yeah, you know, they're, if, they're, they're a little shallower than Visions because I've seen a lot of them and they're, they're, a lot of them are just sort of like a nice, like... They would be a cutaway shot in another show where something cute happened that didn't really mm-hmm. have to do anything with the plot or something, but it's just a nice little either character moment or just a little funny moment with like an Ewok or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's some some of them, none of them are like, we're going to world build or like add to the larger story. It's just like, ni- they're like nice little embellishments. Oh, I must say though. There's an episode where Kira meets Hondo, and it's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff That's like great. that. Just like little things you'd like to see, you know? Yeah. I wanted, to, I wanted to add that because, like, Young Jedi Adventures is coming. The first three shorts are on YouTube. They're very cute. It's about nine minutes of your time right now. Um, and then the show starts for real at the uh, thing. Also, if you want to watch a really fun show now that Ahmed Best is back and you haven't seen it, go look up Jedi Temple Challenge on YouTube and you can watch Ahmed Best as Kellen Beck for like 12 episodes. It's great. And it's free on YouTube. Go check it out. So, all right, Chris, let's uh, get the fuck out of here. We've been talking for three yeah. hours. <laughs> and I got I got work in the morning and I got to watch a uh, Bad Batch finale. Me too. So where can people find you? You can find me at 2 That is our website where we keep all our podcasts. 
and it works like all those dot-com podcast websites do. We got all our shows categorized and whatever. You can go look at each show. You can go to Facebook and go to the Two True Freaks podcast page where we post all our episodes up. And we have the Two True Freaks Cantina where stuff happens. Like I have a conversation with Scott Gardner about where we gripe about the short attention span of of movie consumers, of media consumers. And you can also, if you choose to go to, I hear that Twitter is down, is up, or is, you know, has what, like several billion users and is down to like, what, like four employees now or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's interesting. You can go there and uh, we have a uh, little two true freaks set up there where <clears throat> it's it's just very two true freaksy. You're not going to get any kind of YouTube or YouTube, any kind of Twitter, you know, drama or anything. They're just just two true freaks information and talk doled out to you by the stalwart Gene Gene, the Twitter machine. But I wish I had like something metal to bang on to be like. That would have been perfect, but I didn't plan ahead. Yeah, so. What are you going to do? Well, anyway, that's where you can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? Um, You can find... I also want to say, too, you should go watch Young Jedi Adventures because the usual usual suspects are getting mad over a show being made for preschoolers. <laughs> and they're just oh, being ass. It's so funny because they're just like, this is an epic fail of the show. Who's going to watch this? I'm like, you're fucking children. You know what's sadder than you and I as grown adults watching this? Grown adults hate watching it. <laughs> yes. I am watching it for wound, fun because I'm Getting I love- wound up about it. Getting wound up about it. And you know what? The shorts are cute. The planet that they are on, they're on is actually really pretty. And it's a new planet and it's really cool. But yeah, I'm watching I'm it. I'm looking because- at them at YouTube. It looks like it's like along the Rebels sort of like style, color grade, you know. Color, yeah. st- color and visual style. Yeah. Their heads Oops. are a little bit bigger, which is very common in grade school, where you have the that's, bigger head and the bigger eyes. I mean, th- that's not uncommon for not. like Disney depiction of little kids in a for little kids, you know, as yeah. more. But the Tuka Cat is the cutest fucking Tuka Cat I've ever seen in my fucking life. Anyway, you can find me at Jagas and Jedi on Twitter. That's our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Malnax. I write kind of everywhere. I am now working for Wealth of Geeks, uh, and my stuff is starting to get published over there. I actually get to write a really fun piece about whether or not Rex was retconned um, into Return of the Jedi, which is really fun to write. Um, I also work for Dork Side of the Force, and I'm also still working at the Geeky Waffles. I do a lot of things, and I also do for Light and Dice, where Gene and Charles are conspiring for, for Light and Dice in the Two True Freaks, Jagas and Jedi Discord. So they're conspiring now um, because Gene is lovely listens to the show. But you should go check it out for Light and Dice because it is a real play tabletop podcast where we go on Star Wars adventures and we have a really fun time. And yeah, and everyone is great. I've, I've ran out of steam. We've been talking for three hours. Oh my god, what is the name of the next episode? I think it's called Aldani. It is called Aldani because I looked it up earlier today. Come back next week and we'll talk about Aldani. This is the start yes. of the Aldani arc. Yes. And we'll get the 
get to meet the guy named Nemec who looks like my friend Jason Nemec. It's kind of creepy. Whoa, really? Tell you about that next <laughs> next week. Something to look forward to next week. That's crazy. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I do like Nemec's little hat. I'm still not over Nemec. Anyway, let's go. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.